Who would race down a mountain doing 60 miles an hour on one ski? Who would try and outrun a Swiss avalanche? Who would hitch a ride on a speeding bobsled? Who would stand in the middle of a time bomb and take pictures? Who else but James Bond? another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond went to his wardrobe and found that some of his clothes had changed colour inexplicably. <laughs> so, so I'm your villain host, James Page from MI6, and this week we are doing an Honor Majesty's Secret Service watch-along, which was, stand by the fanfare, Bill's choice got one over the line. I think this is Yay. the 12th one. Well, the 12th one we've done in the 10th vote, so... Coming in yeah. strong congratulations, congratulations, Bill. Well, thank mm. you, thank you. So, this week we have Ben, David, Bill, Calvin, and Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? I would love to introduce myself. Um, hi, I'm Ben Williams. I am a writer for MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier, and I'm sitting here in my uh, screen in <laughs> and uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and I spent part of this week researching MGM Lion Roar. So, can <laughs> <laughs> get the character one, though, Bill? Getting <laughs> method, getting into the method. I like that. Did you spend a week in a cage? And in chairs. No, I, didn't, I didn't take it that far, no. Okay. No, just watch some videos on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, I'm Calvin Dyson. I run the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel talking about all things Bond from films and games and books to everything in between. And I'm drinking a Jack Daniels and Coke and feeling very perky today. Oh, really? <laughs> Bring the energy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond. I'm the editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And I am drinking a glass of Malbec, which is a red wine. Ooh. I have it paired with uh, some Gouda and Havarti cheese, and my dog doesn't know that yet. He's snapping. And I have my wine in my Game of Thrones tumbler that says, I drink and I know things. <laughs> All right. So you're eating fish tonight, then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to Shaman. That should have told me something. <laughs> All right. So this is a long one, so strap yourselves in, guys. I think we might do um, our kind of... Um, thoughts on this movie as we go through it rather than at the end otherwise we'll be here all day but we'll see how we get on folks Alrighty. all right if everybody's got your copy of honor majesty's queued up mm. all right so bill 
you know, no pressure or anything. And by the way, next week we have a special guest doing the role, so pressure's off next week. All right. All right. In three, two, one, play. Mm. Yes. That practice made yes. all right. Yeah. Well worth the research. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and we're about to come up on the gun barrel, which goes back to Dr. No with it stopping in the middle to say mm-hmm. it'll be the and. Oh, that's cool. oh, I do like that. It's always been a nice little kind of graphic thing that they've done with that. I, I think it looks, it looks really great. Was that a deliberate thing? Was it like every time a new guy comes into the role, we're going to do it this way? Because obviously it's Dr. No and this, and then they don't bother with um, living, uh, live and let die onwards. But was it a conscious thing? It must have been at some level, but they never did it again. So, mm. oh, and and here comes Peter Hunt's reflection coming up. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, little cameo. Uh, radioactive lint. Um, <laughs> Worst Bond gadget ever. Yeah, originally, Q was going to be in the movie a lot more. It was going to be at least two more scenes because I have a copy of something that's supposedly the shooting script, but mm-hmm. there's stuff that's not in the film, and we'll get into some of that. As we go, but uh, it really doesn't. He was, yeah, he doesn't get. He doesn't give him really anything in this film, does he? It's not like Bond is pretty much kind of apart from like a pair of glasses and a ring. Maybe he's uh, he's fairly gadget free, isn't he? Or am I it, misremembering? No, f- fairly so. I mean, um, now as the script reads, I got the impression this was supposed to be the DB five originally because there's a later scene in the script where he gets the new car, the new Aston. And, ah. and and Q talks to Bond about the new Aston, but apparently they scrapped it. Maybe they were running out of money and just, you know, well, we don't need that. So we'll, hmm. and uh, uh, we, we uh, also continue, been, continue with the relationship between Bond and the Ford Motor Company, because that's a Mercury Cougar, which I think in the script was an Italian car, because she had been, a, what, married to an Italian count or something. I also from the from the novel, I think, as well. Yeah, uh, she passes can I throw something in there? Can, can I yeah. add to that? Because I know that when my students watch this film, they have difficulty understanding what Tracy is going through at the beginning. And I know that it right. is pushed forward a lot more in the novels where she's given a backstory. And I wish that this film really did spend just a little bit more time telling us about, you know, her child that died and her husband that died, I think, with a mistress. And so she's really in a state of emotional distress and if we had a little more information i think that it it would even further strengthen what i consider to be sort of the anchor of this film and that's tracy Uh, diana rigg hence my i drink and i know things um my game of thrones references here i think that she really is the strong suit of of this film and i just would like to have just a little bit more to just Mm. round it out so that audiences fully know what she's going through well, and she was cast specifically because you had a, an inexperienced lead actor. So you had to have an experienced female yeah. lead. Yeah, you and had to have somebody for Peter Hunt to cut to during dialogue, right? That just, <laughs> Which uh, we'll see later. I always, so we've got uh, the famous tire screeches on sand. Um, right. and, and we've also got a magic telescopic sight that can like zoom in, cut back out. <laughs> it, it always makes me laugh that. Um, to your point, Lisa, the reason why she's suicidal isn't really explored at all in the film. 
It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a few, it's a few uh, lines of uh, exposition in the, in the Bond Draco scene. It's because she in got the, cast in the movie. She's just like, fuck this. <laughs> this was this was shot last. I thought it was going to be Connery. Oh God! <laughs> no, it's Lazenby. Oh no, God! I wanted Connery. I'm just going to walk into the ocean. Well, well, more seriously, they you know people say, oh, if only Connery had done it. Well, if, you know, but people say that. I think a lot of them don't realize you wouldn't. You know, they think that you'd have the same movie except you'd have Connery. But no, there'd be a whole lot of things that would change, including the female lead, because there's no way they would have cast Diana Rigg with Sean Connery. Just, I mean, they would have probably cast another beauty pageant winner or something. Um, I also don't think Connery would have been right for some of the vulnerability that, um, you know, Mason B shows later on in the script. And I think Connery's, you you know, up until this point had been so kind of, confident just sort of easing his way through the movie um he he's just he wasn't that kind of guy that would kind of maybe play that that vulnerability in quite the same way and i think this scene is interesting i know we've recently did a podcast on uh for your eyes only which also has sort of like a beach scene and um, now that I'm thinking about the way that that film references uh, the death, mm, the the ending of this film, if you've never seen it, mm-hmm. uh, ending components uh, <laughs> almost spoiled well, it. If you've um, never seen this film before and you're listening to it, stop. Switches off. <laughs> properly. Yeah. But I think back. it's really interesting oh, what happens, the fact what happens? that they both have sort of these, these beach scenes, cars, um, where Bond is able to save Tracy. Um, or at least she survives this, um, and she's able to sort of run off, whereas Countess Liesel, maybe is her name, yeah. uh, she mm. ends up having a, a pretty violent death. So I think it's interesting oh, that there's... that's not a good image. Well, <laughs> by the way, quick aside, I'll just go back to my stock line. Um, spoilers, have a, spoilers have a limited life, and we can debate what that is, but I think 51 years is a... I think that's <laughs> stretching <laughs> Yeah, the spoiler alert officially uh, expired at fifty years. I think we can we can we can stop talking about uh, spoilers. Moment, not Last year there was some kind of event where they, uh, you know, that guy Terry Fountain's the guy who just went under the boat. You know, like he and Lazenby were at, I guess, the same beach. And, yeah, so it was the fiftieth um, anniversary Portugal. Yeah, tour, that's yeah. right. Yeah, because they had something here and they had something at Pisgore. <laughs> Some more tire yeah. squeals on the yeah. beach. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That's, that's a lot more common than you think. Not in real life. I mean, in movies and TV shows, sound editors can't help themselves. Uh, a lot of people talk about this fourth wall moment, but um, I don't know. I, I, I don't hate it. <laughs> I, I don't hate it in isolation. I hate that sort of people point to it as, you know, a, an example oh. of the codename theory and that kind of stuff. I don't like what it's become outside of the film. I And especially at this era when they were sort of very, you know, a lot of the promotional stuff for You Only Live Twice was, you know, Sean Connery is Bond. The lines were being yeah. blurred between the actors and James Bond himself. I, I think it's, yeah, it, it's fine. It's an icebreaker. It would have got better if they hadn't look, if he hadn't looked directly into the camera right at the very end. Yeah, yeah I think that's it. I mean, it is sort of. Yeah, it had I mean, considered having Bond get plastic surgery to explain <laughs> the new actor, which would yeah, be a terrible that. idea, and everybody agreed it was a terrible idea. But it did get considered. 
Mm. Um, also in a, in a much earlier script, um, there was an Aston that could go underwater and Bond rescues mm -hmm. Tracy with that. Um, so I guess you could consider that the b very beginnings of what's the, Nelly. That's the electronic mm. arts on the Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> I guess I'm a little different. I like breaking the fourth wall. I, I thought that it was a humorous um, uh, touch. I think that it shows that Lazenby's Bond's going to be um, a little bit more reflective and memory plays a huge role. So we have the opening credits here and these are shots, particularly of the previous women that he might be remembering. And I love this scene where he's in his office. I love seeing a Bond in an office or anything that's like that shows that he actually has like a job outside of the field and that he sort of he caresses all of the objects and the music from those respective films is going to play in the background. I like the use of memory because as Bond is remembering, we too are thinking back and making those connections uh, between the Connery era and potentially a Lazenby era. So I, I actually kind of like it. It's their first time trying to figure out how do we introduce somebody new. And instead of pretending like nothing happened before, there is a sense of continuity um, at least that's being presented here that might be absent in some of the Connery era films that are a little mm. bit more episodic. I, well, I think that yeah, might be I, why I, I don't really like it so much because yeah. you have this like fourth wall breaking thing of like, oh, it's a new guy. And then the credits start and it's like, oh no, it's the same one. And then the the uh, scene in the office later on. It's, it's just, yeah, it's just I, I mixed messages. I, I agree, Calvin. I don't like the scene in the office um, at all. And Lisa, mm -hmm. to your to your to your comment about you know i i wrote an entire spec script for a bond film which was just bond in an office and they didn't want to see it um <laughs> i don't know i i really pushed for it i thought it was i thought it had a lot going for it it was filing um reading reports but no I, Where did, I didn't I don't know. what I did could... you spend what did you spend the budget on <laughs> the desk um, <laughs> well, you know, I just you wanted could, to point you, out you, that there's, there's villains. You could have opened this... it up, though, by having Bond yeah. meet Tanner for lunch at the canteen. That's true. <laughs> we could go for a walk in, in the park and, and reflect on the dead bees. Um, <laughs> can, can, just, going, just going back to the titles, um, the, uh, the I read an interview with Peter Hunt a few years ago, and he said that um, he, in South Africa, uh, he was a bit pissed off when he saw uh, the the film projected because um, his name had been removed from the print because of the because of the naked girls just behind his name. Mm. Huh. Uh, that's interesting. The other thing I just realised looking at the titles was um, they show clips of the villains except Blofeld. Yes. Oh, yeah. So they're conscious that. Uh -huh. Mm. Of the continuity issue in the titles. Yeah, that's interesting, James. I've never noticed that before. And I have to, I love I this have to admit, wallpaper. I was about to say, I there was going go. to say also the first use of uh, purple throughout this movie begins yeah, with that so wallpaper. It's hmm. it's a great color palette they've got going on in this on this uh, film. It's um, I, and I think um, you know, it's, it's a reflection of the, obviously the changing time that you've got a wallpaper like that bonds in a ruffle shirt for a, for the first time i think mm -hmm. maybe for the only time um and uh, you know it's it's a real kind of reflection that things are kind of um uh, like the times are changing yeah i think anyway 
So what do you think, Lisa, this purple wallpaper or the From Russia with Love <laughs> Venice wallpaper? Honestly, I'd still go with the purple because yeah. I think the other one, I would, I would just struggle with depth perception in a room. <laughs> we're we're going to see a lot of purple later in Piz Gloria. It's um, mm-hmm. maybe Blofeld had come by this casino and said, "Huh, I ought to redeck yeah. it." <laughs> I'm more interested in the floor myself. Is this a hard blue floor like the hotel <laughs> scuffs? Big scuffs on a hard blue floor. And by the way, I, what I like again when I talk about who I think is sort of the star of it, when I think about the introduction of Sean Connery at the poker table, it's his face that's being obscured. Mm -hmm. And then you just saw Tracy walk up. It was her face that was being obscured and having that sort of aha moment. And I do feel as though there's all these subtle ways that she's sort of being showcased as being like the linchpin of this movie and certainly getting allowances that he's not. Mm. That's true. My bias, Um, I love Diana Riggs, so I'm just going to... There's gonna be a lot yeah. of like love coming uh, towards Diana Reagan. So, so in, in, future, in future, when people talk about their the making a, a female Bond film, we can say, well, it was already done in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and it was Tracy Bond. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Um, so interestingly, she says um, her name with the fate of Blofeld um, in Diamonds Are Forever. Um, Diana Rigg. <laughs> Oh, God. oh God. <laughs> Wow, that's the level we're at, is it? Wow. I almost choked on a cracker. <laughs> uh, forgive me for that pun. Um, this is one of those examples where Hunt cut to Riggs' face when Lazenby was talking quite a lot. Mm. Yeah. She she has to do a lot of the legwork here. Um mm. I mean I mean obviously it was his first film we all know all that um all those stories but I mean even you just see the wheels turning behind his eyes in most scenes and I think he's done a bit of a disservice later on where he has to spend most of his debut Bond film as Bond playing another man who is then dubbed by the original <laughs> actor so I, I don't really think he gets much of a chance to showcase himself by the way that the that the story goes Yeah, um, but, but, but yeah. I, I agree with everything that Lisa said I think Diana Rigg is a fabulous actress and I think in this film she's amazing but I you, think he, she elevates um, Lazenby. I think he's he's not. A t- I mean, I think yeah, he gets much maligned for his performance in this film. But actually, okay, for a first outing, you know, he's he's a little wooden, and um, but I, I think he he has lots of moments where he he really does do a very very good job, and particularly now what we're seeing him in physical action. Um, you know, he is he's a very good Bond in that respect. Yeah, well, I mean, but against that, when when he delivers uh, his lines poorly, they are they're real clunkers. Mm. Yes, mm. which yeah. I'll get on that in the Draco scene, Draco introduction scene. That's for me. That scene has the worst one, but I'm not saying it's the only one. But for me, it was the worst one. Watching mm. this without the sound effects of this particular fight, this fight's actually better without. <laughs> no, with the sound out. Um, <laughs> you know, the it's sound more realistic film, without the foley. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the, the sound design in this film leaves, leaves something a little bit to be desired. That's my personal feeling. It's experimental and it's interesting, but um, I, some, I think sometimes it detracts. And this line here, I was, I was 
uh, is again kind of like they do this quite a lot with Lazenby. They add in um, ADR dialogue after the fact. He should just be walking out, taking that like right. Connery takes the grape in uh, mm. Thunderball. Um, yeah, well, that, that's, one the the line, that's one of the clunkiest lines. It's awful. It's terrible. Mm. Yeah, but it's. Yeah. I don't know how he's supposed to point, be able to say it whilst is, he's eating. Yeah, my point is that they do this a lot, and they do this in Piz Gloria later on when he's talking about count, you know, counting up the girls and everything. It's it's dialogue that's kind of added on for comedic effect that actually kind of detracts from from the film, and I think it would yeah, be massively, cooler if massively, yeah. 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 Now this scene, uh, Bond about to see Tracy again, is used for auditioning Bond actors, along with that one scene from Russia with Love, mm. because I've seen stills from. Pierce mm-hmm. Brosnan's 86 screen test where they were doing this scene. Um, That's when they couldn't get Timothy Dalton, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love and, that shot. <laughs> and he was never signed. Um, but yes. Um, yeah, it's a good scene. And, and when we talked about uh, From Russia With Love on the last and, and, the, and the casting scene on that, um, Lisa's point was essentially that you know it's a it's a good scene for Bond, but it's not such a great scene for you know for for the the, the lady in in, the, in it. Um, whereas I think this one has a lot more um, for the potential uh, Bond girl to to be be doing. Um, again, we you know okay, Bond she is threatening Bond with a with a pistol, but he is quite violent. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, yes. and one wonders whether that is, you know, there's there's a point where it's defense and there's a point where it's gratuity. And um, one yeah, has can't to, be too worried because he leaves his gun loaded in the drawer. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's, that's a really good point because it is raised a little bit later on when, you know, her dad says she needs somebody to dominate her. And so there are, there is, you know, both this idea and this imagery of violence as if somehow that type of control coming specifically from Bond and man would then somehow make, I don't know, put Tracy in line, help her to be better adjusted or mm-hmm. whatever the, the elements are. And I don't think that, that again, could it be a product of the time? I'm not sure. But for me, it just, it doesn't sit well um, that there's that type of violence force and you know if you don't want somebody to speak you don't knock her out cold if you want to run away and bring her with you you reason with her you don't knock her out cold and I just don't like that component because it does get repeated in this film and some of these earlier films and it opens the question is this you know just a common element that makes its way into later later on films and how do we continue to sort of read and understand it well Lisa I think it's 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 a direct result of, of Fleming, isn't it? And we have it in Goldfinger with his views on homosexuality that, you know, um, uh, pussy is only uh, a lesbian because of, you know, uh, misguided youth or, and it takes uh, a, a domineering man like Bond to change her mind. And this mm-hmm. again, uh, directly from um, the, the novel is, is about how this wayward type will be, um, put in line by Bond's kind of uh, machismo. And, uh, you know, I think... And Draco has his own backstory. 
Drake, just mm. to interject there, and we'll come back. Draco, as I mentioned, uh, probably in our last podcast, has his own backstory um, about uh, in the novels about um, Tracy's mom and and running through the hills and and you know semi rape and staying with him. And there is that notion of domination even in Draco's backstory. So just to add to that, yeah, it, mm. it certainly is taking a lot of elements from the novel. Sorry to interject, just wanted to throw that one in. No, 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 it's all. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's important that we can we can kind of hey. like throw throw these ideas back and forth. Bond's uh, going golfing. I, I can't mm-hmm. believe that this is an outfit um, <laughs> that, that people were kind of like, yeah, let's emulate that. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, least got, I, least what, the, least what the, are we the, talking about? There's three of them. We still got the colors right. Uh, so that was – it took me a long time to realize this, and somebody pointed it out to me. I think it was after we went to see this in L.A., Ben. It was yeah. it's Draco's men that put the money in the drawer. Right. While oh, I was asleep. Right. And I didn't know. I didn't – Yeah. And take the gun. Wow, uh, that's interesting. I've always – do you know, James, I, how many times I've seen this movie, I can't even count, and this is the first right. time that that's occurred to – well, not occurred to me, but you've, you've explained it to me. I've always assumed that it was Tracy – um, saying, I'll have that and I'm paying my debts. Nope. Um, just quickly, uh, a black character who can only um, communicate through grunting is not is not good. Um, I don't know really how to kind of expand upon that other than to say that, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's feeding into a lot of uh, very negative racial stereotypes. Um, and uh, yeah, he also he also shows up in the Spy I Love Me and is one of the um, Stromberg crew, I think. Huh. And so I think he switches it sides. A, yeah, he switches sides. But it raises a good question about representation. You know, is poor representation so stereotyping, limiting roles? Is that bad? I always pose that to my students. Or is it worse to not be represented at all? Because you know there are very few people of color really in Bond's orbit in central primary uh roles and that's usually sort of a trick question because both of them suck whether you're represented through stereotypes or not represented um at at all but i think it's something just to be raised about who's in the center of the frame and who is relegated to the periphery unnamed roles people who don't speak uh it's just something to consider Two yeah. quick things. Uh, the janitor was whistling Goldfinger, so we break the fourth wall again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Draco's secretary is wearing a purple dress. I love this focus pull. This this focus as he puts his glasses on, it goes into focus, yeah. and he says he takes them off, it hmm. goes out of focus. I just, I've always really liked that. Uh, I, 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 what I don't like is when Bond says, I'm superstitious. No, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been used as a, is Bond superstitious kind of, thing no, it's just, just like it's a the quip. code word thing it's a quip yeah. but yeah. people read too much into it yeah because mm. um, the character himself doesn't believe in any of that kind of stuff yeah there's more uh there's, there's also some lovely wallpaper going on here or is it tiling oh, yeah. Tile. yeah tiling or wallpaper I, I i think you know there there should be a website Entirely devoted to the wall coverings of James Bond. Oh, if it hasn't been well, those, those tiles, those tiles are very typical of Lisbon, in fact. So uh, that would explain yeah. the yeah. Huh. So the textures and fabrics of Bond book. There Ooh. you go, Ben. It's just just pages of patterns that are very garish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so we're co- we're coming up to my least favorite line where. Draco offers him the dowry of one million pounds and then 
Bond, he looks like he might be thinking about it, although he doesn't really sell me on it. And then says, but I don't need a million pounds. Uh, like, there's uh, a lot there's a lot wrong with this isn't there bill it's uh, this, this, <laughs> this, this, this whole exchange between them uh it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a real exchange of dialogue um it feels like two people kind of reading lines really um draco's a very good actor and he's you know he's, he's delivering everything very well but i just look at lazenby's just very stiff here <laughs> you know he doesn't look relaxed uh in this scene yeah <laughs> um, and yeah it's just kind of look he's trying to be kind of cool i'll just take this cigarette out but um you know i think he's i think this, this isn't this isn't the best scene between them um and this is really what's kind of a, a fairly major plot device is to kind of uh, for him to kind of woo tracy so to speak even though it's um not really what well, it, it, it moves the plot along for Bond to find Blofeld, um, but it's not it's not executed particularly well. No, and I think this is what in modern parlance we'd call a quid pro quo. Mm. <laughs> I do find it interesting. Hasn't... I think in the book that uh, this scene has Bond sort of we hear his internal monologue about what money means to him and all this kind of stuff, and I mm. found it quite jarring actually reading that those passages in the books where he 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 doesn't sound terribly materialistic or that interested in money, which just kind of somewhat counteracts his sort of reputation for the finest, you know, the finer things in life like nice suits and um, food and hotels and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Mm. Yeah. His attitude, his attitude in the books is completely that he wants to spend his money because he doesn't think he'll he'll yeah. survive much longer. So yeah, you're absolutely right, Calvin. Mm, yeah, David, David, I think that this is this is you're hitting the nail on the head. The fact is that Bond in the novels is is straight out of the Second World War. He's yes. seen people die very quickly, very easily. The the loss of life for people um, of his mm. his age and. Um, you know, it, you were lucky to get out of that, um, and it it makes me kind of feel like you know that if you know if you're in a if you're in a, a situation where your life was was constantly at risk in the way that those people in in the war were, you would be talking to each other and saying things like, "Well, when I get out of here, I'm going to have mm. this meal at this place," or "If I get out of this, I'm going to do that and the other." And I kind mm. of feel like that's Bond's taken that um, almost kind of uh, trench dreaming. Um, and made it his kind of philosophy for life after after the war that he's going to enjoy himself as well as he can because he mm. took he might die tomorrow. And I think oh. in the pandemic, many of us have that feeling, right? Being homebound and thinking to ourselves, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What am I craving? So in some ways, uh, although it's it's minor compared to uh, witnessing a war, uh, but I think a lot of us can relate to that type of thinking and dreaming and 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 of what a, what life would be like or the finer things in life we want to indulge in. Hmm. Yeah, I think Bond's just been given an opportunity, you know, to to live that life. Uh, um, and as Calvin says, uh, you know, his attitude to money is essentially that most of the time it's he considers gambling money to be foul money, um, you know, so he, he he's fine sort of dispensing with it. We talked about this briefly, I think, when we were doing um, the license to kill uh, mm-hmm. commentary and, yes. you know, when Bond, Bond had Just Sanchez's th- money. Just it around. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, you know i think this is this is one of the things you know bond is kind of held up as a kind of a figure of kind of uh capitalist uh, idealism um you know just only having the best things and you know he's a figure of aspiration but actually where that is rooted in is um is somebody who might not have might not have lived he's living for today it's a very different mm. attitude by the way, coming up here is a teeny tiny attempt at continuity where M references he's had Bond has had two years to track mm-hmm. Blofeld down. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was two years since the previous film. Mm-hmm. Um, Does this make subtle, it the first direct sequel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, right, Alone was the first direct sequel. Because then you have a red phone and a gray with, with the with the date on it. That's right. um, we have a red phone on the desk again. Continue on. I know, I know that. Continuing what what Ben w- was saying about uh, you know Bond being held up as a you know this um, icon of capitalism in, in the books uh, Bond's Bentley uh, his, his second Bentley or third Bentley depending on how you look at it um, was actually a he bought it as a write off had the had the chassis straightened and the the bodywork done so um, you know yeah. it, it's basically a it, it's a second-hand car that uh, was a wreck. And, you know, how many of us yeah. who, who have owned cars haven't done that? Not Bentley. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you just uh, can't you imagine go. film on buying a, a second-hand car, let alone a write-off. <laughs> no. Well, and in, 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 he bought it from George Lazenby, who obviously... Well, in, in, in 1987, <laughs> Saturday Night Live did a James Bond parody and Steve Martin played... Bond and anyway, the joke was that when Bond was on his own time, he was a cheapskate. It was right. <laughs> he was like, and they you know had various examples of Bond like you know being miserly because you know, it was on his dime <laughs> instead of the British government's. Well, when um, when you read the novel Goldfinger, or if, if you ever do, anybody, um, it's interesting that when Bond is packing his uh, his clothes. Um, he has a houndstooth jacket that he's had for some time. Um, you know, back in those days when you had a, had tailor-made clothing, your clothes lasted you. Um, mm. And you know, he has a battered pigskin case. There's a few things that he has that are are, are of quality, but um, that he's kept for a long time and looked after, rather than just everything being new. And it's interesting that his his personal car, as David says you know, is a second-hand Bentley. The car that he's given from the MI6, um, the Secret Service motor pool, is, is the Aston Martin. And it, and it is a piece of, it's, it's part of his cover to, um, to look like a wealthy playboy. It's not his personal car. Um, so there's a lot of things that kind of people mistake about um, and in, in fact, in, in fact, F- Fleming himself was renowned for having worn out cuffs on his suits and things like that. So, uh, mm. so, so, so Bond inherited that from from Fleming. Yeah. And just, just as a sidebar to all that, the phone on Money Penny's desk is the phone that I like in a previous film when Sean Connery ordered his coffee very black and fixed. Mm. Whatever movie that was, the like half purple, half gray phone. Yeah. Just wanted yeah. to throw that one out there. I'm still a fan of that phone. Um, hmm. Drop department. <laughs> I do it, just made wanna... its way, it made its way from Venice to London. <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to touch on that whole sequence that we just saw of uh, Bond at MI6. I always found it quite 
ponderous, I suppose, when I was a kid, because uh, it is a real pause in the moment for, and it's quite a rare thing actually, especially at this point in the series, for real like sort of character moments mm. where we understand how important it is for Bond to be going after Blofeld, that he's willing to resign, and his relationship with M is sort of touched on Money Penny, Lois Maxwell as Money Penny probably has the most sort of uh, bearing on the plot and the story that she has in any of these things. I think it's an it's an interesting MI6 sequence, whereas up to this point, we've just used to, you know, Bond, come in, here is your mission, go off and do it. Whereas uh, in this scene, it's much, in this film, it's much more about character, I suppose, and um, mm. revealing what matters to, to each of them. Well, and also this, in that this scene where... He... Here, he's, he's, a, he's a better looking guy than Bond. That guy, I've always I've always thought that that guy extra in that lower left hand corner there is like is, is one of the best dressed, best looking guys in the, in the whole of Bond movies, and he's just like passed over in a pan. Sorry, Bill. Right, well, I was I was about to say in that in that office scene where he's going through his mementos. That's another example of where dramatic sense trumps logical sense because. Like, how did Bond get Grant's watch with the garage anyway? Um, <laughs> he clearly yeah. didn't take it in the movie. So did what? He called up uh, Station T. He said, "Has hey, uh, <laughs> taken that watch garage off his wrist yet? I'd like it if you could." Yeah. Lost, lost and found what's on the Orient Express. What's Honey doing without her belt and diving knife? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the He's, staff at Crab, uh, Crab Key took all of their effects off them. So, yeah, oh, he must yeah. have ended up going back to the ruins of Crab so, Key. To, is there, is there a, it's a radioactive knife. <laughs> there's, a, there's a villain. You know that in, in, in um, Moonraker where you can call up and get a villain, right, on, on the call-up line? Right. Um, they, also, they also have their own eBay. Um, which is which is just maybe, just, maybe it's just a replica. Maybe it's just a replica instead of the original. I don't know. Like, he just it, called up Factory Entertainment. Just, just, <laughs> just to just to say something about this scene. This is uh, uh, Draco says to Bond, "Let's go and watch some animals being tortured." Right. Yeah. 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 It's, I do like you know, how Draco's bodyguards are with him the whole time through the through this they're like sitting at the table standing behind him in the party yeah, just in know, case the like, bulls go for him right <laughs> but they, well, as, it, as a mafia boss you never know and yeah uh also also i like the way in which in the beginning they're framed as bad guys you know mm-hmm. um and then that moment where he goes yeah it's tracy tracy's here you know he looks jovial and lovely you know like a kind of guy that you want to kind of hang around with um so they they in real make life this... he would disembowel you in 10 seconds if draco <laughs> ordered it <laughs> yeah exactly um but it's nice that they they make that it's interesting that they make that that transition so, between you know speaking of the bodyguards there's a character called clef in the script and um he was going to be played by a guy called Takis Emmanuel and they shot the wedding scenes first. So he's in that bit. If you were at the end of the film, he's in that bit, but he refused to do a screen test because he heard that Lazenby had refused to do a screen test. <laughs> so the stunt coordinator, George Leach, um, got him cut out of the film, but they um, shot the wedding scene. So that's why you got two guys instead of three. Yeah. <laughs> um, George Leach's, uh, a great stunt guy. He's obviously, he, I think he he's the one who performed the hand over hand in uh, in this movie, right on the on the on the power uh, on the on the lift yeah. cables. Um, he actually yeah. did that. 
that for real. Um, his daughter, Wendy, uh, went on to marry Vic Armstrong, um, yeah. a longtime uh, Bond uh, stunt uh, man and um, stunt coordinator. And she's also the person who doubles for Wei Lin on the, um, huh. on the motorcycle jump um, That's right. in, in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. A little bit of trivia for you there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I've always found this romance scene to be quite interesting. Uh, there's an essay in, in my book. I believe it was written by Melissa Santos, where she talks about how Honor Majesty's Secret Service is not a typical Bond film. It's more of a woman's film. And it follows that mark where there's usually like a montage of love. And of course, that is supposed to set up like a doomed ending. And just as a mm. personal ironic story... I loved the song that is playing right mm-hmm. now. We have all the time in the world. And I actually made it my wedding song. Oh, and then yeah. when I got divorced, I was like, you know, that was probably <laughs> a bad omen. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Listen that, that exactly happened to me. I, uh, I got married. I've been to, I've um, been to this in, shop. <laughs> Sorry. So, 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 so my, uh, my ex-wife walked down the aisle to, uh, we have all the time in the world, the, the John Barry, uh, book, uh, instrumental version. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it, again, people out there should not, should not take that, <laughs> use right. that song. It's a bad omen. Um, just don't but, do uh, it, people. But, just yeah. don't do well, it. Yeah, don't, my, don't do it. my, like, my two, brother, two, two, well, when, my, when my brother got married, um, we, we, uh, afterwards, uh, he said, "Oh, did you notice what music was playing when uh, at, at the end when we we left the the hall?" And I said, uh, "No." And he said, "Oh, it was it was uh, it was this. We have only we have all the time in the world, and I hadn't noticed at all." <laughs> <laughs> um, so are we one I... for three on the podcast weddings in this movie? <laughs> so. Um... Uh, yeah, the other the other amusing thing about that was that um, uh, because I was playing it off a CD, uh, the James Bond thing kicked in. I'm surprised she didn't leave you then, Ben. <laughs> so, yeah, um... it, was a, it was an immediate it's immediate <laughs> divorce. Um, no uh, annulment at that point. Yeah, okay. annulment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, this 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 scene is um is, is you know the, the build up of tension here is is quite interesting um the, the music's the fantastic as well yeah oh yes yeah the, the, Sid the, Kane, the, by the way is fond of checkerboard floors because mm-hmm. you know, he's the uh, production designer here and then in from Russia with love which we saw last week you know you had the checkerboard on the, in the chess game and then you had yeah. a checkerboard in the hotel lobby um, Technically, it's chessboard in, in a chess game. Chessboard, yeah. excuse me. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it seemed to be something Sid Kane liked to do a lot, apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, like what, Bill? Uh, to that to that point, what do you what do you feel of um, the production design oh, of this movie compared glass. to say, yeah. you know, Lamont's design and um, uh, Ken Adams' design? Uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle of those two. Um, It's not as fantastic as Adams, but it's maybe a little, has some more flourishes compared with um, Lamont's. Um, Not so much here, but 
you know, the interiors of Pifloria. And, uh, oh, we're about to see another sign of Bond's continuing relationship with Playboy magazine, where he mm-hmm. pulls up a copy of Playboy while the safe-cracking machine works. It's nice touch it to have Draco to sign on this. <laughs> yeah, I think that so too, James. Game, what was that, James? It's a nice sign to have Draco's name on the construction equipment. Yes. Ooh. Yellow equipment with the yellow mm-hmm. jacket. Yellow, 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 yellow. See, so all construction um, equipment's yellow, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. in the home yeah. video, in one of the early home video releases of this, this whole sequence is cut out for runtime because it couldn't fit on the tape. So huh. um, Campbell just pops up at Piz Gloria and dies quickly with no... You know, well, even no then, you, you know, no explanation. They, because they have cut out the um, the foot chase as well, uh, or yeah. they will be cutting out the foot chase as well. In which you know, you know that you get the you get the tie in with his newspaper, don't you? At, um, at the, See, the station, and not just and not just the uh, the chase, but in the script, they had this whole elaborate thing where it's like, okay, the guy's dead. And we sent the fake telegram to Blofeld, say everything's fine. But mm-hmm. if that guy suddenly turns up dead, Blofeld might get suspicious. So we have to stage a train accident. So yep. they put that guy's dead body in a train full of other dead bodies. And Q shows up to help Bond out. <laughs> so yeah. and that, and, hence, hence the newspaper up. headline later yeah. in the film. Yeah. But, about the but, train. but isn't, it, isn't it kind of great that you can kind of just cut all that out and like not worry about it? Right, because because you know this movie is like two hours and twenty minutes without it. So adding all that stuff would have added another twenty minutes at least. And Um, I think you know the safe cracking. This does nothing for Bond. Like I always feel as though technology should help Bond out when he's in a fix, and so it should be something that he can go to in a bad situation and turn it to his advantage. Here he's literally just sitting here. I would rather him have like a stethoscope and listening in and cracking the mm. safe and showing me some level of skill rather right. than legitimately looking at Playboy and just chilling in order to get this done. He's not doing anything um, as a spy. And I feel as though this technology, while kind of elaborate and big, I feel as though it, it just, it makes me think less of him as a spy. Then why do you need James Bond to do this? Go right. get somebody else. Right. If they're just going to plug in a machine and take out papers. We, mm. we talked about this before. In You Only Live Twice, he has this little mm. thing that's in his pocket just for right. cracking a safe. But this thing has a built-in photocopiers. Which, which you I don't need cool. because you could just use a camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah that so, tiny camera that he'll have later on in this film. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, just I a like, quick word on... Know, Sorry, James. If you're a lawyer, just put all your Blofeld paperwork on top. Yeah. <laughs> just a quick, just a quick <laughs> word on... On, on Bond's suiting here, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too deeply into it, but this is this is a beautiful ensemble. Uh, he, you know, this suit, um, the pale blue tie, uh, but sort of the pale blue shirt, the knitted tie, uh, it, it just sort of screams Bond to me, and I, I think it's one of his his better um, outfits, and uh, in, certainly yeah. in, even in this film. Um, Steve, if this note. was done today, if this was done today, Lazenby, like, what do you mean PC load letter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, also, um, a lot of people say, oh, Bond's, Bond's Rolex in this film is the mm. uh, pre-Daytona chronograph. Um, and 
Um, I, I should point out that it's it, it does wear it, but he wears it as part of the disguise as Hillary Bray. Um, in this sequence, he's got the Submariner. He's, he's keeping with the Submariner yeah. war in the casino scene as well. So it's not, it's not, to my mind, technically it's not, it's not Bond's, Bond's watch, is it? It's not Bond's watch. No, it's it's kind mm. of like it's part of the disguise in the same way that and Bond doesn't wear glasses. Yeah, it did come up for auction recently and uh, mysteriously got taken down. Yeah. It's quite a rare watch to have. It's got a red uh, sweep hand, and they didn't make many of them with a red sweep hand. Um, I'm sorry, Bond's a cheapskate. He rips off the centerfold out of uh, Gumbolt's copy of Playboy. (laughs) Really? Yeah, Yeah, to go meet his girlfriend. He can't even say that he was reading it for the articles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I find the idea of Gumball reading Playboy kind of just weirdly unsettling. Um, you know, well, I think he's just, leaving it out there for his clients. I think he has an unsavory set of clients, so he's leaving it for them. Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, Blofeld's one of his clients. So I don't even want to think about that. This is the proper M's house. Mm. Um, this is this is from the novel as well. Um, the bell outside. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I love the uh, the lepidotry line here. Uh, yes, unusually large um, for Emperor Coriolis or whatever he says. Another, yeah, another great uh, example of Bond ever the expert. Um. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, just a point about the Playboy, and I know that it's establishing the connection between the Bond franchise and Playboy, and of course, Ian Fleming's work has been published there. I kind of think that that scene takes away from Bond when I think of Bond mm. being. Um, a man that women want to be with, um, a man who has sexual access to women. This idea of like ripping out a page from somebody else's Playboy, just it just doesn't connect with the way that I see or have thought of Bond and his sexuality yeah. um, in in the film. So for me, that's just sort of like a like I don't want to say it's a gross scene, but I'm sort of like like ooh, like why'd you have to do that? Well, uh, I want to I want to edit this so that the paper he pulls out of his jacket is the paper centerfold, and you just cut to hands <laughs> opening it up and yeah. opening up the centerfold. Brilliant, um, Lisa. To take your comment a step further, a late friend of mine, there was a um, there was a uh, James Bond short story written by one of the continuation authors that appeared in Playboy and Bond goes to the Playboy mansion and um, anyway um, and he and I were talking about that story and he said something to the effect there's no way James Bond would be friends with a wanker like Hugh Hefner and (laughs) he was he he was not that was (laughs) It's just weird. It's just weird. <laughs> um, just I get your quickly. point, Lisa. It's like, why, why does he need to carry around some soft pollen? It's a bit weird. <laughs> so they do. So, uh, so uh, um, Omega or Omega, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, produced a 50th anniversary watch uh, to tie in mm-hmm. uh, with this movie, and they used the uh, coat of arms, uh, laser etch onto the back <laughs> of it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they got it wrong. Um, yep. so, uh, it is, it's interesting how, um, you know, one, that's, the, why, we, that's that, why this podcast isn't sponsored by Omega anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my, my Does very good, have to uh, send our own back then, my very good friend. <laughs> now, now Damn what's it. going on here in the script is that 
Sir Hillary Bray's aide is recording all this. And it's established in the stuff that you know, was filmed and not used that, oh, I just hired him last week or two weeks ago or something. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, so he's a new hire. And it's like, apparently Sir Hillary Bray isn't too suspicious of the new help. Hmm. And uh, so, th- but they actually did film because there are stills out there yep. of, of the aide at his desk listening into this conversation. And then there's a the foot chase that, you know, again, stills mm. exist of the foot chase. What mm. I don't know is, yeah, I don't looks- know if they actually, I don't know if they actually filmed Bond killing the aide when he finally catches up to him. And I don't know if they actually attempted to even film that convoluted scene I described of the train with all the dead bodies. But uh, it'd be lovely to know if that if that footage still exists somewhere. No, it doesn't. uh, Peter Huntsman interviewed years ago that he kept all this stuff in a pile at Pinewood. And one day he came back to see it all been thrown out. Mm, Yeah. Uh, and what was wrong with the, the what, what was wrong to close the loop on the uh, oh. on the on the um, watch? What was what was wrong with it? Oh, so they they um, they used an incorrect um, uh, coat of arms on it. Um, it's a very minor detail, but um, my good friend, the watch nerd, um, and you can find it on Twitter at the watch nerd, pointed this out to me. Um, thank you, Matt. Um, and what, what's wrong uh, yeah, about the coat it, of it, arms? So there's a very small element. Yeah, there's a very small element um, that was not included within it. Um, It's pretty much the same, but they basically obviously spent a long time laser etching these things and making them limited editions. And um, it's it's only a small detail, but they they missed out one of the elements of the coat of arms. But at least they're all right. I wear it. I'll wear it with the wrong coat of arms. They make beautiful watches. So I'll just be like, look at they, this. They do make nice watches. Um, obviously, none, none of which They're are featured in this film, um, which, you know, is the other irony that they would make a 50th anniversary edition right. of a watch that doesn't exist. I know exist that was in ridiculous. No. So that's like right. having a Roger Moore or Aston Martin model. <laughs> um, we, 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 we've passed it, but the headline on the newspaper the other agent was looking at said 19 yeah. killed in rush hour accident or something like that. So yeah. that's so that headline is the only remnant of all that stuff that's not in the Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, this think. whole sequence, <laughs> uh, oh, this I'm whole sorry. sequence just on Lazenby's acting that I sort of referred to earlier on. I think this is a perfect example of how he wasn't quite a skilled enough actor to pull off this part. He's supposed to be Bond playing someone else in disguise, and he, mm. he doesn't do that. He just plays the the person in disguise, whereas someone like Connery can get into character as Bond playing someone else and kind of have fun with it, like in Diamonds Are Forever, for example. Whereas here, it's just Lazenby is just playing Hillary Bray. He's not playing Bond playing Hillary Bray. Anyway. No. That's a good point. Yeah, because particularly in... Yes, yeah. particularly in Diamonds, where Connor says, "I speak English." I love I mean, that. That's, yeah, that's funny, and it's yeah. like, yeah. and yeah, just sort of watching, watching what we've just seen. I've never really considered all the parallels with For Your Eyes Only, like having the horse-drawn carriage, and then sort of the ally who has a has a fate that's fate that's determined for him. I think that I, there's more connections between those two films than I previously. Mm. Had had even like thought. It would be funny if, uh, in too, that horse-drawn carriage. 
I was about yeah. to say, if it would have been funny in that horse drawn carriage if one of the drivers looked back at Bunt and Bond. I'm already. Like here again, sorry. sorry, just just on the on the same point of acting, like he's it, it comes across as if Bond is afraid of flying rather than you know, playing Hillary yeah. Bray is afraid afraid of fly, of of flying. Um, yeah. Avalanche damage. Um yeah, no, <laughs> Say it after right, me, Ben. Say yeah. say after me, Ben. Not ground. Not ground. Sorry. Nice to see you. Um, And all the. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I like all this little kind of foreshadowing of all the things that we're going to see later on in the movie, which is kind of a surprise. They're not showing as a sinkhole for quantum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's. It's kind of good to be able to kind of do this kind of establishing stuff. You know, like. it's it's in, it's better to kind of show this stuff than tell it, I guess. Yeah. Um, which is often what you what you find with exposition. Um, well, this, well, it's been advertised. Up, I've seen advertised. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Bill. Coming up, Bond's going to meet. Well, I, I'm sorry, I I I jumped the gun. Uh, we're we're about to see shortly Bond meet Blofeld, and in the script, it's kind of like yeah. I mean, it's just point a to point b oh here's blofeld he's about 50 years old blah 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 whereupon in the raw doll script for you only live twice his stage directions when bond is about to see blofeld for the first time he's like really selling it like bond is about to meet the face of evil i mean that's right. that's not a direct quote but it's 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 really hyping it up whereupon in this script it's like oh, now he meets him and this is what he looks like like really as i expect just a quick uh, quick touch on the character of Blofeld um, as written by Fleming um, in the novels that he appears in he is like a distinct ca- different, distinctly different character in each of those novels um, mm. it, it almost feels like you know he's Blofeld in, in only but name really um, you know all it, the Blofeld kind of code name theory, theory. <laughs> well also when you read a script and what's interesting about the stage directions i mean with the stage direction this is stuff the audience is not going to see per se it's basically intended to get directors excited it's intended Mm. to get actors excited to get them in the mood get them feel the story and so, but there are sometimes on, I mean, it works on some bond scripts, but there are other scripts that are kind of flat in that regard. And mm. I think like the actors or maybe the director, whoever add things that aren't in the script. Um, yeah. Bill, and that definitely um, on, applies here. On the, on the script for lethal weapon, um, Shane Black writes, now witness the greatest fight scene you have ever seen. <laughs> committed to film. Um, <laughs> And you know that's 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 kind of I've always liked scripts that kind of inject a little bit of uh, um, excitement in, in, into them. <laughs> God, it's Speaking very like we're getting. Speaking of Bond layers, I think this is um, when I ask fans, you know, different places, different layers that they that they like. This one constantly comes up. I like the shot when they were walking down the stairs and it kind of looked like a gun barrel in, in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm. I like the interior design, the views that you can see throughout. It really is compared to some of the earlier scenes. I feel as though it's it's a, it's a step up. Um, when it comes the cam- to yeah. the location, the camera angles are very artistic. 
Yeah. Mm. Well, I was just going to say, I think Shot the lighting's them. especially good. Like, I I can't really tell where the studio stuff ends and the location stuff begins, whereas in a lot of Bond films, you go, okay, well, this is studio, obviously. But here, I think mm-hmm. it all works very, very well, actually. I think, I think production value-wise, I think this film is pretty phenomenal, and I criticized Peter Ooh. and editing in a couple of the Terrence Young films. I think here, it's, it's fantastic that you have an editor as director, and it, it, it works so well with how he's you know framing things how he's uh you know he's obviously got an editor's eye even though he's the director and i think it all comes together so well even though there are jump cuts sped up footage all that kind of stuff because it's in his head and he's sort of he knows how it's going to work when in the finished product i think it, it works really well the uh, director of photography here was Michael Reed, who only did this one film in the Bond series, but I know he had done other British television productions. I guess he was a friend of uh, Peter Hunt's. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, he's fine. You know, it's, it's uh, he doesn't have the pedigree of Freddie Young mm. or uh, Claude Ren- Renoir, but uh, you know, it's 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 just fine. And, and like Calvin fine, said. I- I was about to say, as Calvin said, this, you know, the, the transition from what I think was a real hallway in Piz Gloria to a set, I think, is pretty seamless. Mm, mm, mm. I was going to say, this, I, I, looking out the window and stuff, it's a good, mm. uh, nice little trick. Mm. I think this is one of the most beautiful looking Bond films, particularly for what we get with the next three Guy Hamiltons, which uh, mm-hmm. have a tendency to look quite flat, I think, similar to some of the John Glenn Well, films. and a squarer aspect ratio as well, doesn't yeah. it? Help? Yeah, true. Right. I, I think this one looks really cinematic. I saw it on the big screen at the BFI last year with their whole um, 50th anniversary celebration, and it, it was stunning. It was quite something. Um, yeah, James and Ben, I know that you saw it as well uh, on the big screen in LA. Uh, yeah, was it last year? It. Let's be honest, it was a shit print, wasn't it, Ben? Oh, it was great. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I saw it a few years ago in, in Barcelona on the big screen, and uh, it, it, it was a terrible print, but uh, it was fantastic to see it. It was a huge screen, really, really, really good cinema. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I saw I, it I, first I run. It on the big screen. Sorry, Bill. Yeah, I, I, probably, say, I, I probably. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was no. just going to say, I saw it first run. My mother took me to see it. And then I, then like a couple of years later, there was a double feature of this and Diamonds Are Forever. And so I saw <laughs> that in the theater as well. And uh, plus, I also actually saw that 1976 weirdly edited ABC thing mm. on TV. So it's yeah. like. Just, uh, just uh, something I don't think I'd noticed before. There was somebody knitting or crocheting or, yeah, her doing that thing with the Joanna blanket. Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley. Yeah, I didn't notice who it was and noticed the blanket because we used to have one in our house and I've always, ha- I always hated it. I, I mean, not me as an adult when, when I was a kid. I, I don't know. Uh, it must have been a thing of the early 70s or late 60s, early 70s. Hmm. Um, love, lovely Ruby Bartlett, who um, sadly, um, yeah, yeah, died, died very sadly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one of, um, I think, one of the most memorable uh, of all the Bond ladies. Um, mm. I think, it's, the, you know, it's also the Northerners in Bond series. Yeah. Mm. I just say yeah. you, you've got. A room full of, um, you know, extremely attractive ladies, um, and 
you know, she uh, she really does kind of uh, shine out amongst them. Um, well, I mean, obviously she's given a lot to do, but um, but it's it's showing that she's uh, she's really able to kind of uh, you know, distinguish herself. Um, um, in addition, of course, you have Joanna Lumley, we we mentioned, and also is mm. it Katharina von Schell? And then Sean did just Katharina Schell. Mm. And she was in a Pink Panther movie, The Return oh. of the Pink Panther. And she was also in Space 1999 in the second yeah. season. Mm-hmm. She was, yeah, um, with some strange makeup. Yeah. And uh, um, anyway, it's. So this movie actually continues the relationship between uh, Bond and the Avengers TV series in two That's ways. Right. Diana Rigg, the most obvious, but then Joanna Lumbly would be the female character in the new Avengers in the 1970s. Some um, of these women are going to have very uh, deprived diets, like right. yeah. they're eating this every day. Just potatoes for you. She's not maintaining <laughs> that figure on crisps yeah. and yeah. browns. Yeah. They, they come down with like very good wine from the look of the bottles. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I also so, think it's interesting, and this is a point that Ben made, you know, before the movie to all of us. Um, there's something to be said about the representation of the black woman and what she eats, and she eats a banana. Um, but she does so in a way, and it, my students have noticed this as right well. There. It's, it comes across on the one hand, depends on how you want to read it. It's hypersexualizing the yeah. black woman compared to all the other women. It's phallic in nature. But if we want to take it one step further, I mean, we could look at some of the um, racist things that have been said to black people, um, including President Obama and caricatures that have been made about them where they're likened to monkeys or apes. So I think that there's it, it's. I'm not sure where it's going with that. If it's supposed to be hypersexualized, or if there's something else being inferred. Yeah, no, but it I, really I, is I, I've, I've long found that, that shot very, very odd. In and I, I, I don't like it at all. Uh, and I, I'm not sure. No. I'm not sure at all. Uh, whilst we're on what this, they're trying whilst, to do with it. Whilst we're on this, whilst we're on the subject, uh, Chi Chi, the black actor that did the um, fight scene with Lazenby for the, you know, in, in earlier in the hotel room, one of Draco's bodyguards. In in Italy, he's an Italian actor. He was known as the Ambling Ape. Oh <laughs> my God! Oh, that was his nickname and during filming. So, oh, well, and and just yeah. while we're talking about the diets, I mean, we we just saw the the Asian lady was eating rice, right. and the Indian right. lady was eating what looked like some kind of naan bread. I think it is right. just like you know whatever your stereotypical uh, you know culture's food is. That's what they're going for. But, uh, um, yeah, but I think Fleming, like a lot of people, they kind of they start with white as like the base sort of character, and then any sort of extension of that is just sort of a characterful eccentricity. Is what it's seen as. Um, so yeah, they just adhere to the in, stereotypes. Something yeah. else. Um, he gets an additional dialogue credit as Simon Raven, and he passed away sometime. I'll say in the last ten years. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly. And I remember reading one of the obituaries. It was from one of the British papers, and I don't think it was one of the tabloids. But it began with this anecdote about. Simon Raven was around for the filming of that sequence. That sequence was like the first thing filmed, uh, Piz Gloria. And Simon Raven was gay. And so according to Simon Raven, some of the women were playing up to him, like, maybe you can get me a bigger part. 
said this. And, mm. and of course he wasn't interested. And, uh, and it's like, I knew very little about Simon Raven until he passed away and, you know, read some of those obituaries, but it, it's uh, part of the reason I bring up Simon Raven is because additional dialogue isn't a kind of credit they give out anymore. Uh -huh. um, it, it's kind of, it used to be kind of a way mm -hmm. to like, well, you helped out, you know, we're not going to put you in the screenplay credit, but you know, we'll give you yeah. this. And I mean, and I've seen that go back into like the fifties and forties, but he apparently did make some major contributions. He was the one who brought in the poetry that, yes, uh, he wrote the Thy Dawn, a master of the world, Thy Dawn. Uh, yeah, so he, well, or, or the or, uh, amended adapted one. it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Also, the uh, the dialogue between um, you know when when Hillary goes into the room and starts to sort of seduce them, mm. a picture in the firelight, and twice as lovely that kind of stuff. Um, that's also kind of uh, I don't know if people are familiar with Noel Coward's Private Lives, um, but that's a that's a, a riff on Private Lives. So he he kind of um, make these these kind of literary um, references. Uh, by dropping in, dropping in this kind of dialogue into into this movie, which kind of I think definitely elevates it. Um, but to Bill's uh, point about you know him being uh, a gay man who was kind of like um, you know pressed for 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 better like you know, for for a better role or a bigger role, it's interesting that um, Joanna Lumley's kind of biggest line in that is, you know, of course I know what he's allergic to. Um, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And so there is, you know, we we talked pr prior to the, um, you know, to the recording of this, we talked about, you know, the the, the racism and the and the misogyny, you know, the, uh, and we we kind of sort of said, you know, if there's, <laughs> I think Calvin said, you know, <laughs> if there's uh, there's only homophobia, um, so there is there is a <laughs> there is a there is a kind of a, a a little bit of homophobia in in the way that um, Bond plays Hillary, I guess. Oh yeah, because I me mean, because also uh, in addition to Joanna Lumley, um, Katharina von Schell says, "Hilly, I did not think you liked girls. Normally, yeah. I don't." It, it, that, it's maybe not. It's maybe not homophobia, but it certainly plays to homosexual stereotypes. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, um, it, it trends in that direction. Say, yeah. I mean, we've we've not mentioned it actually, but Peter Hunt, the director of this film, was gay as well. Yeah, right. And you know, certainly comparing to what we get with Winton Kidd in the next film, I think if anything, I think this is quite a positive uh, yeah. portrayal. To be honest, maybe even the most positive portrayal in all of Bond in the character of Sir oh. Hilary Bray, uh, whereas every other sort of not straight person seems to be. Uh, some kind of villain. Um, it was weird, actually. Yeah. When George Lasenby was doing his Q&A at the BFI last October, he kept bringing up the fact that Pete Hunt was gay, like literally three or four times during anecdotes, <laughs> he kept like interjecting with... And of course, the uh, director, Peter, he was gay. And, and it's sort of like, yeah. okay, where are, you, where are you going with this? And then it was, he just didn't go anywhere right. with it. And he just dropped it in there for some strange yeah, reason. He, he would trail off. Although George himself, by his own admission... Um, Sort of has uh, played for played for both camps. Um, mm. So, um, well, well, I can only speak in terms of one public appearance. So, in 1994, there was the first of two official James Bond conventions. It was in Los Angeles, and George Lazenby was the only Bond actor to show up. Originally, Roger Moore was going to come because they were going to give Albert R. Broccoli an award, but Albert, you know, his health was failing, so Roger Moore canceled out. But I had non-refundable tickets and, you know, it's like, hey, you still got one bond, so I'm going. 
<laughs> anyway, so finally, like one of the last thing toward the end, you know, he came out with some Bond actresses and he said, yeah, I kind of screwed up. I should have done more, blah, blah. And then he was like, he wasn't terribly articulate. And I, I was like momentarily disappointed. I thought, well, you can't make someone be articulate if they don't want to be or if they can't mm-hmm. be. And at least he at least he acknowledged the obvious. So, OK, mm-hmm. at least so he I quickly up. got over it. But uh I, I, I guess what I, I'm trying to say is I have the feeling George isn't the most articulate guy. Mm. <laughs> it's um, like- I've, I've spent quite a bit of time with George when uh, I was in Oslo doing the event because uh, I was there as part of um, Mason and Sons and we were dressing him for that um, event. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I heard a lot of his, his stories Um I wouldn't say that he's not necessarily articulate, but he definitely just repeats pretty much the sort of anecdotal stuff um, kind kind of over and over. Um, I mean, and if if you ask the same question for 50 years, your answer mm -hmm. is going to become more and more condensed and contrite. Um, I I can't remember where I heard it, but there's some psychologist recently said it's like when, when you, when your brain, when you got to remember something, you're not actually remembering the actual event. You're remembering the last time you remembered. That's how mm. your brain works. Right. So if he's telling the same story, you know, hundreds of times, it's going to be so detached from what actually happened. Particularly yeah. as people but, probably only ever ask him about, oh, that year of your life that you spent, right. uh, you know, 50 years ago doing this thing. Tell us about that. So it's, yeah, it's all about that. And, and, it's, and it's also about how the interviewer wants um, embellishment. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I, after um, after Skyfall, I interviewed Daniel Craig, and one of the things that he had said was like, "Oh, you know, I'll slip my wrist if I have to do this again." Um, and he'd been so used to people bringing that question up to him and responding to that question mm-hmm. that when I kind of said to him, "So, you know, this is the end of the arc of this character, essentially, in this movie. Um, do you think there's further? There's, there's any further?" A direction for the, for for your James Bond, um, he went straight into defending the slit your wrists, um, right response, hmm. which wasn't what I'd asked him. Um, so I think that there are a lot of times when when people just are so uh, are triggered to respond to a certain question in their mind, I suppose. Mm. Um, I, I guess it, I, I guess it's also that people uh, try and prepare the answers they think they're going to be uh, the questions they think they're going to be asked, and so uh, mm. you know, and uh, you, you you know once once you've had the, once you've been talking to interviewers all day, you kind of switch off from what the actual question was, and you just uh, respond to what you think was asked. Okay. Mm. See, I if I, see, if I had the chance to talk to George, I would actually uh, want to talk to him for the first episode of Jack Lord and Friends and talk to him when he was on Hawaii Five-0, just because <laughs> I have a feeling people would ask him about that very much. <laughs> um, I, I, as I said, I spent quite a bit of time with George, George Jason B in, in Oslo. Uh, one of the things that did was uh, we actually shared the uh, shared his breakfast with him because he didn't have a mm. like he, he had he had too much uh, too much bacon and I was very hungover and I ate his bacon. Uh, I also got stuck oh god in the lift <laughs> oh well wow. you had flames together flame. and literally <laughs> ate his thing yeah yeah no, no we were, well, why we didn't like, you put that on your Twitter profile. 
<laughs> I ate George's bacon. Um, I got stuck in the lift with him as well, uh, which was um, we'd, we'd had to go like, uh, yeah, it was just very like it was a kind of like the lift just wasn't moving. It's one of those uh, hot- like hotels where you have to have the room card to, yeah. to, to, to get it to the lift activated. And neither of us had our room card with us. And we got into the room with somebody like got into the lift with somebody else. Um, who had their card and they got off and then we, we got stuck in it and we could all the buttons that we were pressing weren't working so we were kind of like oh well we have to wait for somebody to call the lift <laughs> so that was kind of uh, so you're saying that George didn't bust you out of the lift then come on you, you need Sorry? a better story George didn't bust you out of the lift <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you need you, you need to work out you need to work on the story a bit there Ben yeah. Well, after the 50th he, time he, I've told it, I'll yeah. probably embellish it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's because Ben is remembering the last time he remembered rather than That's the right. actual event. Yeah. So <laughs> what actually what actually happened was George climbed out the hatch at the top and the yeah. building was on fire. <laughs> I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever George, shared that with with, with anybody. George, what do you I, remember I about the Kentucky Fried movie? I thought you were hilarious. What? Huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd also I also had to go out and buy. I had to go out on an errand and get in socks. I had to get George Lazenby a pair of socks. Um, Jeez, just just odd things. That that was a very odd week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> Ben, I saw you tweet out all your photos of you standing next to Aston Martins, but you, you haven't shared this on Twitter. What are you doing? There's, there's a lot of things I don't share on Twitter. <laughs> 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 Probably. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a very interesting, um, uh, interesting couple of days there. Um, George, um, as I say, George is, George is very, uh, kind of gregarious guy but um it's very easy to um quickly tire of uh of, of uh, shall we say george's shtick yeah yeah and <laughs> um, the 50th time you've got to get him a pair of socks <laughs> uh but yeah back to the movie <laughs> <laughs> Back to the movie, it soon implied that uh, Bond has had sex with most of the women, most of the angels of death. Mm. But, yeah. uh, he didn't even shower in between. It's really <laughs> gross. It's really like, oh, God. He did that, he did that off screen. Excuse mm. me, I have to sh- freshen up a little bit. <laughs> mm. I, find it, I find it really I've, gross. I've seen it. I've seen it <laughs> Particularly as not 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 to um, have a go at any sort of like non polygamous relationships, uh, uh, you know. I don't know, but it, it is just a bit sort of like because Tracy is sort of like you know. It, we have already established they are very much in love, and we've had that montage. And here he's just like yeah, yeah. getting off with every lady in the thing, and it's just like well, mm, well they okay. even had that insert line says, "You're an inspiration. You'll have to be." What? Mm-hmm. Uh, never mind. Uh, um, never mind. <laughs> but this actually, this actually comes back to something that Lisa was saying uh, on the from, Run, from Russia with Love commentary that we did. There is a point where, you know, so Bond is actually sleeping with them for information. 
you know, that's that's his primary. It's it's fairly clear that that's his primary motivation is to to extrapolate information about Blofeld's plan, right? You know, mm. all the questions he's asking them, they want to have sex, and he keeps going, "Oh, tell me more about this. Tell me more about you." So right. whilst uh, whilst he is uh, cheating on Tracy, um, one gets the sense that you know this is part of. I don't want to say spycraft, but maybe the unfortunate side of spycraft, as we discussed in, from Russia with Love, that they may perhaps don't get. Mm. Well, I mean, they, they write it that way. He could just be their, like, you know, their gay best friend, their GBF, who they confide all their secrets <laughs> in. They, could, you know, they could have gone down that route. It's uh, that's yeah. true. And 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 this and this bit where um, you know he passes in front of the curling board. Right. Or somebody passes in front of him and he says nine or whatever it is, or gives him a later yeah. date, um, mm-hmm. which is a, an incident, you know, again, it's an ADR line. Um, and meanwhile, here's the poor other agent, like climbing up the damn mountains, like, and he's just going to get killed. Like, the guy yeah, doing I, the real work, damn it. Yeah, but, but and again, my, another reference utilized in For Your Eyes Only, only it's yes, Bob doing the work. Yes. And just yeah. to think about, you know, the relationship, you know, it, it, are relationships sustainable for spies? And this is a film that really brings it up. We've seen Bond fall in love. Now he's randomly, whether it's for information, part of the job, he's sleeping with other women that we can see and throwing these lines out. How do we feel about a spy who then is going to get into a committed relationship? Can we have married spies? Can they do their jobs effectively? Will they divide their loyalties between, say, queen, country, mission, mm-hmm. and their family? And if you can't get to Bond, you're probably going to go after his wife or mm-hmm. his family. And so it, it it really opens and raises questions it's... about the viability of relationships and, mm-hmm. and the liabilities that come uh, with it's... and through them. Um, That's a good point, Lee. So in in the BBC series Spooks, they actually explore that, where it's based on MI5 agents, and they have Mm. families and stuff. Um, And that that, Cruise should do a series of movies about it. (laughs) (laughs) So so Bond gets gets home after a day at work, and his wife says, "Oh yeah, good day at work. What have you been up to?" And uh, uh, well, that's not going to last long, is it? (laughs) Well. Well, True Lies did that, remember? Because yep. Um, yep. his wife didn't know he was a spy, and like he thought, she thought he was you know, had some ordinary mm. job, and he didn't. Um, but Traveling then she gets humiliated yeah. later by having to do a strip tease for him. So, yeah. but uh, anyway, Ooh. but that's True Lies, not this movie. So, so I've got a question: What is Campbell's goal here? I mean, he's tried to get up the mountain, he's tried to climb up the mountain. I mean, what is he trying to do? Because he's only going to blow. Bond's cover. I think he's trying to impart. Has he has he discovered something? Is he giving some information? To, oh, or is he just worried about Bond? I I mean, it's a good question, James, because I really don't know. Other than just the death wish, <laughs> it seems right. like the only thing I can offer is maybe he feels he needs to be closer to where Bond is, just to keep a closer eye on him. Uh, that's all I got. I that. Yeah, I no he needs to keep an eye on the new Bond. <laughs> it's not Connery, so we're not sure how he's going to be. So yeah, so like in the uh, Mad Magazine parody, it was like uh, George Lazenby. Uh, I have one. You know, this is M talking to him. Says, "I have one question. Yes, who are you? <laughs> uh, as soon as I find out, I'll let you know, sir." <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Pass out acting there. Um, <laughs> from from George. Hmm? 
um i do i do hate the christmas trees um yeah. song. I, I real ca- real candles on a christmas tree that's not a fire hazard at all they've got, yeah, they've yeah. got plenty of snow um <laughs> <laughs> to douse it um i can only assume that love- campbell was trying to campbell was trying to tell him that he's blown yeah well this is <laughs> yeah, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps you're right but the fact that they've already met each other right. in the previous film should, uh, you know, like, okay, so they're different actors playing the role, but essentially they have met one another. And the idea that Bond's disguise is a pair of glasses right. seems kind of ludicrous. You know, Superman, it, Clark Kent thing. Yeah. Yeah. He puts a pair of glasses on and nobody knows it's him. Well, except <laughs> Superman also, when he became Superman, he had a curl in his hair and it was straight as Clark. That's yeah. a key sure. Yep, the hair was the, the deflection. I'd love to see Bond's, uh, Bond's little comma of hair fall over his eye just in, just in one movie. Don't and we also, have that in a Pierce Brosnan one? I feel like in Tomorrow Never Dies, he has like yeah. a little curl. Yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's. I mean, I I, I agree. It's probably as close as we're going to get to it. But uh, you know, I've always kind of kind of fancied the the scar on the cheek and the curl of curl of hair. Um, Did they do anyway. anything to um, Telly Savalas's ears in this film? By the way, I've always been curious about the whole like, earlobe thing. Like, I, yeah, they I mean... they take them they take them backwards. I think. Um, oh, did they actually? And, huh. Yeah, and then used a little bit of um, a, you know, like a. I will. Makeup, I will give I a. Uh, hmm. I will give a shout out to Telly Savalas. I think this is a pretty good villain speech because he says a fair amount, helps the audience, but he doesn't go all the way. Right. And you know, because Bond says, "How are you going to do that?" I've said enough. So it's like, oh, right. at least he has enough discipline not right. to give the whole thing away. I love how he smokes. I've never seen anyone smoke say, quite in the way this, that he uh, does with that cigarette. It's quite impressive. It's, it set up a bit of a trope, didn't it? A villain smoking cigarettes strangely. Mm-hmm. This is the first example of it. But I think he actually is the most compelling of all the Blofelds that I've seen. He's got a lot more to say. He's got a lot more to do. He's on screen. But I actually find him to be incredibly compelling and kind Mm. of likable. I guess maybe because I'm just sort of struggling with connecting with George Lazenby that I'm like, Blofeld seems kind of cool and a lot more interesting than anything. Yeah, he's charming. Yeah. He goes out with with his men. It's like, okay, it's like, yo, I'm not just going to send all you guys out. I'll go with you. Except except for the two who are going to die for certain death of the Avalanche. Later, yeah, but, they have the em- employee morale exercise doesn't go well, does it? Like- <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, watching uh, watching Blofeld without the sound, he uh, apart from the bald head and so on, he quite reminds me of a friend of mine I'd never realised before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um. What does your friend like uh, want to take over the world or? Yeah, <laughs> or, or does he lick lo- or does he lick lollipops and say who loves you, baby? <laughs> <laughs> or does he smoke cigarettes in that sort of backward hand sort of way, which is uh, quite? Hmm. I'm very impressed by this. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think, I think that's partially real life because I think he really did smoke. And oh, and I so don't like, doubt. Yeah, and so like with Kojak, part of the the shtick of him with the lollipops was he was trying to quit smoking. Mm. And I, I just like how he like holds it between his he, index he, finger and the yeah, thumb. Yeah, because he, he holds it like a lollipop as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's true. At one point, yeah. he, he, one point he licks it. It's it's awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 
this this sequence, although I really like um, you know the tension of being Bond being trapped in that room, it does sort of. I mean, up until this point, Blofeld's been you know charming and clever and all of this kind of thing, but then he puts him into the easily escaping mechanism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just going to assume that you die. Um, yeah, it's... No, I think it's like, he, I think he's holding Bond in reserve in case he needs to prove to the Western yeah. allied governments that, you know, I have a witness, like, you know, and yeah, if he's like, I mean, worse for the wear, that's, that's all the better, you know. I just feel like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to trap Bond, maybe like tie him up, I don't know. Just yeah. <laughs> we, we might we might see a little bit of this echoed in No Time to Die, or uh, or, or put him in like in a giant hourglass with sand, and he's only got like ten minutes to get out of it. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That's the Adam West Batman show. Forget it. Um, um, I as a kid, this I reminds me a little bit of Where Eagles Dare. Where Eagles Dare. I was yeah. just James. Oh, stop, purple, stop purple it. wrapping <laughs> on the uh, packages. <laughs> Yeah, and and yeah. earlier when uh, when uh, Bond met Blofeld, Blofeld was coming out of the laboratory, and there were these purple purple. lights. I guess it was the disinfectant or whatever. Yeah. It, mu- so, it must yeah, be because more, it, more purple because they they only invented purple dye in 1968, so that's why they used it so much mm. in this film. Huh? Mm. Did I, not know that. No, I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm just going to like tell all my friends like this great new fact learned. Well, clearly, clearly, I don't know if it was Sid Kane. I don't know if it was uh, Michael Reed. You know, but somebody obviously like was really enamored with purple in this film. I think it was Peter Hunt. I yeah too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I love the fact that that like. Julius Caesar's got a you know purple sash, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't invented until 1968. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, James James sort of touched on it a second ago uh, before we went down the the, the purple road. Um, that there is you know there's another film that uh, a late 60s film with the cable cars in the mountain. Um, it's literally the year before. <laughs> year before, and um, you know, James, the second that, like, again, our minds are kind of too attuned. <laughs> I immediately went, "Where Eagles there?" Um, and I, 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 as a kid, I kind of conflated elements of these these films together for some reason um, because I, you know, when I watched this movie as, as a kid, uh, it was probably the one time, you know, uh, because people kind of went this wasn't the Bond film to watch. And I think maybe we should sort of touch on the fact that a lot of people didn't, didn't repeat watch this film um, because right. of its reputation. Um, it's only, it's only in much later years that I've whereas, watched this whereas as many re- times. Where Eagles dares on like every Christmas on TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, mean, so, I remember when know, it was think, first on, I remember when it was first on, on TV and my parents said, Oh yeah, but it's, it's not a very good bond film, but uh, and we watched it anyway. And, uh, I watched it whenever it was repeated. Um, but, uh, there, there definitely was that. And to, I, I think to a certain extent, I, that I carried that on for quite a few years until, uh, I, I, I started to see that I actually, I did enjoy it. Hmm. Hmm. 
I was going to yeah, ask actually, David. Yeah, so you didn't enjoy it when you were a kid watching it, and do you think no, that was you, like when, no? I, I, when you were told, I did. You were told I did. It wasn't I, very I, good. I, did I, I did enjoy it, but mm. um, because my my parents said it was no good, I, I kind of carry that. That's that's the kind of mm. story that I told other people. But then I, then I realised actually, right. I, or I admitted it to myself that I, I did enjoy it, and so it, you know, it wasn't that terrible. It's a, mm. Yeah. Nice it's piece just of a quick, painting there. Yeah, just a quick point that you've got. Blofeld is obviously the, the the instigator of this scheme, but he's using women to do it, and he's using okay. women by uh, drugging them essentially. Although it's hypnosis, he is uh, he is essentially um, roofing them um, into into being uh, the agents of uh, of, of his uh, his nefarious plan, and ultimately, I think they get. What what would be the responsibility for a lot of that? Even that, that they're um, they're not really anything to, to do with it. Um, so you know, it's it is an interesting point again that kind of women are held up as the kind of the the Pandoras of of, of mm-hmm. this, or or the or the um, Cassandras of this, but, angels um, of death. And it's interesting that it's it's even though it's Blofeld's uh, scheme, it's really a woman, Irma Bunt, who does most of the oversight, and her representation is very similar to Rosa Club from in from Mm. Russia with Love, and the fact that they kind of look the same. Um, Her hair's tied back, um, and because uh, she is too old by the narrative logic of of the Bond franchise to be seen as maybe being sort of a, a, a sexual conquest of Bond, she really does stand in as a sexual foil in a sense either blocking bond from doing what he wants to do um or even sort of vying for their affections right uh Mm -hmm. so i think there's something to be said about the way that women also participate in in this in an active way but there's also a lot of women who are participating in a very passive way it's not their consent and it's utilizing their bodies without their consent to be these active agents of death in the world like that's a really great point that needs to be really emphasized here well also speaking of irma bunt uh inspector not in the Mm -hmm. draft that was shot but like one draft before it like in Mm -hmm. october of 2014 irma bunt was in it Yep. So you would have oh. had a you know you would have had a rebooted Blofeld and a rebooted Irma Bunt. And, and, they, and the Irma Bunt and the Irma Bunt in the Spectre draft was going to be um, a bit lecherous to Madeline, wasn't yes. it? Yes, that's right. Oh, wow, that would it have was, been terrible. I, I really like in uh, Fleming's You Only Live Twice, which comes after Fleming's On a Majesty's Secret Service. I love that uh, Irma Bunt and Blofeld are like this demented married couple. It makes so much sense for like after the story where Bond's wife is murdered, he goes up against, he's dealing with all this grief about a dead spouse and he has to go up against a villainous married couple. I think it works so nicely. It would have, I, I, I would have quite liked to see that in the films actually. Mm. The the actress who played um, a bunt, I, I can't remember what her name is at the moment, but Il uh, Stepper. yeah, Il uh, she Stepper. died. I think it was yeah. a couple of weeks after the premiere of the film, which I, I've always thought yeah, was quite right. quite sad. You know, yeah, mm. right, I'm and, and that probably explains why there's not even an attempt to even mention her in Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. Meanwhile, mm. Uh, Raymond Benson's first continuation. Story. It was a short story, not a novel. Uh, Blast, Blast from the, from the past. past. The villain yeah. was revealed to be Irma Bunt. 
Uh, well, John Pearson did it, didn't he? In his unofficial mm-hmm. biography, that ends with, yeah. um, oh, Irma Bunt is actually alive and she's got nuclear bombs or something. Um, yeah. yeah. Can we can we talk about his cable car escape that we saw a couple of minutes ago? Where sure. the cable car is coming up the mountain, but he decides to try and climb to the next gantry, I'm guessing, mm. with clearly not enough time to do it. Act surprised when the cable car comes the other way. <laughs> drops off but then pops up clinging on to the thing that's higher than the cable yeah anyway. it's a bit weird i just don't understand the logic of him trying to escape by climbing down the cable when the cable car's coming just... <laughs> yeah you just have to wait just yeah. just wait <laughs> and, and just step out onto it it just seems really stupid um, well, one he of the was, he was that, deprived that... of his utility belt so he had to fake it oh, i'm sorry that's something else never mind so um, when um, in the novel, obviously he uses his uh, Rolex to uh, knock a guy out using it mm-hmm. as a knuckle duster. Um, they don't do it in this film, but interestingly, uh, it, it's a blink and you miss it moment in uh, Casino Royale in the uh, Venice sinking yep. villa. Um, Craig uses his uh, Omega to uh, as a knuckle yeah. duster and knock somebody out. Yeah, they actually had to here. make they had to actually make replica rubber. Watches, yeah, rubber watches, but you yeah. don't see it like unless you they pause it. it. Yeah. I think you can. You can. I think you can kind of basically see it in like one shot, and it's kind of and it's done. in in one of the like behind the scenes videos. You can see it. Mm. Shots that I suppose I think yeah, um, Phil, who's want... not with us this week, did a big thing about. Yes, that. that's right. I was oh, about to say that. that. Yeah, yeah. It was him that put me onto that. Yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. It's not. I, I wonder how much of that was. Well, Omega is a paid partner of this film. We can't really be using their product to smash somebody's teeth in. It's... I think the idea is that you know we don't want people kind of emulating that. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, but um, Phil, um, so I'm sorry that he's not with us this week. But you know his his bond knowledge is uh, is fantastic, and um, you know there there were often uh, great things that he brings. I mean. Uh, when we talked about the Spectre gloves um, on the, on the oh, sorry the Skyfall gloves when we, we did the Skyfall commentary, he did a a really good piece on on that. Um, yeah, basically so, yeah, debunking the whole how it was originally yeah. st- told, but then finding out where they actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, and I wholeheartedly you know agree that, that he was he was right um, in his assessment of that. But um, yeah, he's a uh, yeah, he's a real asset to the, to the blonde community. Anyway, look at this ski suit. So on the, on the infamous ABC thing, this is where the movie starts after the mm-hmm. gun barrel. Um, um, and then you have this first-person narration. One of the things that we kind of haven't really talked about is the music. No, it's, it's Barry really on, on elevated his um, uh, game with this because I think he knew a lot was riding on him. and. And I've seen quotes attributed to him where he said he had to come up with the, the biggest Sorry, bomb score ever. Um, and you Sorry, I think I lost my, lost my headset there. No, I was just saying that, uh, you know, John Barry said in later interviews, he felt, you know, he had to come up with like a, the most bond score he ever did on this film to partially to make up for a lack of Connery. And, uh, yeah, I, I, and he, yeah. He, he did a good job. He he, he, he did, easily yeah. earned his salary on this. 
It's fantastic. And I like all the snow, the snow action sequences. I mean, the music is, is great, but I, as a Canadian, love snow. So I love seeing skiing, bobsledding, skating. It's, you know, 90 degrees in Oklahoma. Like all of this is just, you know, uh, sort of hitting it at my heart in a, in a different way. But I always love the fact that skiing is a, a core component of so many of these earlier Bond films. Well, and like Willie Bogner is um, filming some of this, mm-hmm. skiing backwards, holding a big contraption, you know, a camera mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, Lazenby said like Bogner could uh, ski faster going backwards than I could go forwards. Um, so and also um, Blofeld's out with the guys, you know, so yeah. it's like not just, you know, he's a... So I like this, are they doing day for night in a lot of this yeah. stuff? Okay, yeah. right. Because because I was thinking like some of the you know, some of these shots you don't even really see the shadows that much. And it's no, quite no. good day for night. Uh, some of it is yeah. also Lowry when they did the restoration really buggered up the color correction on this. Ah, and um, so they were doing the color work on this uh, restoration um, and sending the kind of. Um, the roughs to Eon to, to mm. check if they liked it. But what they didn't know was Eon were playing it back on a, like a, a regular TV in a well-lit room and uh. not seeing what Larry did. So they said, oh, yeah, this looks good and everything. So Larry doubled down. That's the story we were told anyway. Mm. So uh, that story was told to us by somebody who worked at Larry. Okay. A bit of that was like passing the blame, I think. Mm. But um, the day for night, especially the adjustment to the time of day in the pre-title sequence is a bit contentious. Some of this, um, some of the sequence here is shot in uh, a town called Sasfe in Switzerland, uh, which is where I learned to ski. So um, I were you, actually were you, learned- were, you, were you taught by an uh, an older gentleman with a disaffected <laughs> son? <laughs> he's he's the author of all your papers. He's the author of all my papers. Uh, actually, I was I was taught to ski by a rather uh, attractive um, American lady, um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it's it's interesting to see this kind of stuff back. But as a kid, and this and this kind of uh, ties into what Lisa was saying. As a kid, I was kind of pretending to be like James Bond in right. um, Free Your Eyes Only, thinking, yeah, you know, I'm doing the through the. Um, but uh, but actually, what uh, what I was doing was uh, on a machine secret service, and I didn't even realize it. Can we count this guy falling off the cliff? One yeah. Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi, ten We're Mississippi, eleven Mississippi, twelve Mississippi, thirteen Mississippi, fourteen Mississippi, fifteen Mississippi, sixteen Mississippi. Poof. They really want you to feel that, don't they? <laughs> that thud. And do it to another one. Oh no, he's not off. It'd be great if that guy just got up and just dusted himself off. <laughs> <laughs> just went, ah! Uh, I do hate it when they linger on these uh, sort of, you know, these double, uh, well, not double, whatever you want to call it, these fake bodies, and you always see the arms flapping around. I think the Kill has the worst instances of yeah, that in yeah. Bond, but it's like, yeah. Yeah, if Lowry needed to fix something, it was the flapping arms. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty brutal fight with this uh, yeah. nameless henchman, like the choking, and then yeah, the the fight. Oh, he's off. Oh yeah, yeah, but we don't linger on that. Yeah, 
In about 14 seconds, you'll hear a... The the people down below having a hot chocolate (laughs) all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, because isn't this, what is this, Christmas Eve? Uh, Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And I do love the upcoming chase sequence when, I mean, we see Bond, he actually looks scared. He looks a bit exasperated. And I love Mm. sort of the intercutting of shots of things that are coming after him. And that uh, um, life-size, I don't know if it's a polar bear. that Yeah, it's a polar bear. He's also included as like one of those factors. I like the Mm. fact that he looks overwhelmed and you know it's something you don't expect from Bond you expect Bond to be in control and so to see him being like holy crap like I'm not really sure what to do I'm in trouble is huge and naturally it's Tracy who's gonna come uh to the rescue and I just love the shot when she appears with her skates so I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't audiences didn't take to Lazenby actually after you go through five films of James Bond being this completely unflappable like he can you know meet any situation with a a a smile and a fight and all that kind of stuff and then you see like this guy get you know he literally screams like James Bond screams when he's uh, confronted with a man dressed as a polar bear and it's just a little bit (laughs) like oh okay this is our hero now and I think you know what I think it works in this film and I'm not saying that as as a a knock on Lazenby's performance but I think it is a testament to how perhaps audiences didn't take to him because they are grounding Bond in this film they are making him more realistic whereas prior to this he was a bit more of a fantasy hero just by getting into fights and all that kind of stuff um, and I think that, yeah, I think that translated uh, over to the audience. You've just given me if an you, idea, if you want to see, It's in, no? in in the pre-title sequence for Bond 26, they need to have a man dressed up as a polar bear so we can judge it from <laughs> Bond's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you want to see how Bond evolved, the two best examples I can think of are two of the best examples would be Maybaum's script in 1961 for Thunderball. You know, they hadn't even cast the part yet. And so like all the descriptions are taken pretty much directly from the novel. Compared with the 1965, beginning of the 65 film script, where, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like, here he is, the one, the only, James Bond. You know, it's like, because like by that point, Bond is this big thing and it's, you know, and it's kind of drifted away from the novels even then. So, hmm. uh, just, and again, I'm talking about the stage directions. Nothing anyone says in the film. It's just the way you know, Bond set up in the stage directions in the 65 Thunderball script. is. Uh, hmm. He's like the protector of the proletariat. It's something like that. Right. Uh, he's the this and that and James Bond. So, hmm. yeah, this, yeah, this was uh, definitely a big change. To what, um, to what Calvin... Um, kind of said earlier, you know, like we have had all of these movies where Bond has been unflappable and um, undefeatable, which is why I said earlier that I don't believe that Connery could have necessarily have played this in this in this particular film as well. This moment here where he's sitting here mm-hmm. and vulnerable um, is my favourite kind of Bond, I guess, my favourite moment of Bond because you need vulnerability in your character. Uh, if you don't have it, then there's no tension. There's no stakes. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, agree that it's wonderful uh, to have, um, 
you know him rescued like this uh, it's directly from the book uh, so you know that's that's again it's another nice piece but but yeah i mm. think the vulnerabilities the vulnerabilities is of lazenby uh, is, is often underrated Real quick, um, the song that was playing in the background, Do You Know How Christmas Trees Are Grown, sung by Nina. Nina was it's Nina Van Plant. It is easily the worst Bond music. Absolutely, yeah. She was, she was well, on I a know. British... I think it's, it's tied with Experience of Love. I think. Well, anyway, she was, she was on a British television show around 1960 called Jukebox Jury, which had a John Barry theme. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Married couples competed, and so like Nina Van Plant and her performing husband were up against David McCallum and Jill Ireland to try and like playing this game. Anyway, Nina Van Plant was then in The Long Goodbye, uh, the 1970s Robert Altman directed version. So 1971, Dave, I think. So David McCallum, that name's familiar. Uh, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> It's just married couples is all I was talking about. Can we play back to the notion of vulnerability? I know that when my students get to this film, they actually find Lazenby to be refreshing. And I think that maybe at the time period, there's a certain perception of Bond. But when you have so many films, whether you watch these films in order or not in order, and I'm excluding the Craig era films here, you know, there is the sense that Bond is invulnerable. He doesn't necessarily feel too much. And there is something maybe in retrospect years later, looking back, coming back to this film, that viewers are simply saying like, wow, like it's nice to see Bond having vulnerability, maybe not always being in control. And that's the reason why there has been a resurgence of love for Honor Majesty's Secret Service after the fact. Maybe not mm-hmm. necessarily in the moment, but after the fact. Oh, I completely agree with that. I, But I, I do think that the film is more rewarding on repeat viewings than the initial viewing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, 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 to be honest, I, I think it's a blueprint for how to not introduce a, a, a new James Bond if you want the audience to think of this guy as your ultimate hero. I think that the script mm-hmm. does a lot to... Well, disservice him, really. I mean, in this sequence, um, I think there are positives and negatives. Diana Rigg is the one behind the wheel. She's the one doing all the uh, great driving and all this kind of stuff. And I love the fact that they allow her to do that. They allow the character to do that. However, when you're introducing your new James Bond... Mm-hmm. You have him in the passenger seat, really? Like, not, like, sort of leading the action. He's just a passenger in this yeah. sequence. And, again, like I say, it's a great sequence for her. I think she's fantastic, wonderful. I, I wouldn't want the sequence to be any different. But if you are introducing this character as your new hero, you put him in the passenger seat. God, I mean, you're, you're not really well, selling him very you know, well. And, and in the living daylights, they just have him leave. That's <laughs> <laughs> about to say, also, in... They, they'd kind of boxed themselves in a little bit since Diana Rigg had played Mrs. Peel in the Avengers and she had this image of very being self-sufficient. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, just to be clear, I'm not saying the way she plays Tracy is a carbon copy of Mrs. Peel. Not at all. There's, there's going to be audience expectations that she can yes. kick a bit of ass. Yes. Mm. And, and, and certainly I had them as an 11-year-old seeing this in the theater in 1969. Because I had watched the Avengers, and that was, and well, I'll get to the ending when we get to that. But uh, 
So yeah, that was definitely part of my expectations, and and, and all those expectations were definitely met. Yeah, mm. just don't look too closely here about what time of day it is, because it flips mm. between the pitch black to daytime to morning to evening to pitch black. But yeah, well, and this sequence had a different director. It, um, <laughs> Anthony Squire is credited with directing this sequence. I guess he was Ooh. the original second unit director, and then they brought in John Glenn later. But uh, yeah. Um, and Diana Rigg does the driving for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For reels. Yeah. But yeah. it's, 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 it's nuts having this here. <laughs> but she also, like, she looks like she's having fun doing it. I mean, look, at the end of the day, she comes across, if we take the entire franchise as a whole, she is, at least uh, for my viewing, a lot of fans, a lot of my students, she is one of our favorites because she not only is she well-rounded, but... She's somebody who's capable and confident, and there has to be a way then um, to present capable and competent women without it Mm -hmm. actually necessarily detracting from Bond. And I think, you know, Calvin's right. Like, this is a blueprint in some ways of things not to necessarily do. I think that there's ways for, you know, Lazenby's Bond to still have some uh, uh, sense of agency and control. Uh, But I don't think he was given... I mean, we blame the actor, but I think the script definitely highlights her at the expense of him, whereas typically yeah. in a Bond uh, formula, it's highlighting him at the expense of women. Bond will take over the drive and criticize the driving, say women drivers and whatnot. And here we have Diana Rigg as Tracy Bond just killing it. And it makes me excited watching yeah. it, but, but then, I think it takes away other, from him. Then, well, the other way to look at that is this is why he falls in love with her because you know he she's his match you know yeah right so I they, have to kind of, they have they have to play how strong she is i think yeah. for that reason right and also I, I mean she's a an amazing versatile actress i mean she's had a spectacular career and you know and my words are inadequate but you know that's just the case and um yeah it's it's but like I said earlier, if Connery had done this, there was no way Diana Rigg would be in this part. Just mm. no way. Mm. This um, mm. this reminds me a little bit of uh, the last Mad Max movie in the sense that you know, in, in name, it's uh, it's a it's a Bond movie, and in, and in name, uh, Mad Max is a Mad Max movie, but it's Furiosa's movie, and in many ways, yeah. it's Diana Rigg's movie. Um, mm. You know. Uh, she really does do quite a large portion of the um, the action stuff here, um, mm. and and quite a lot of the time, uh, much as um, Tom Hardy's Max. Um, yeah. Lacey and, and later, sort of, she's, and later she does the fighting and kills one of the henchmen. Mm. Yeah, so mm. you know she's uh, she and for you know considering the you know the time and and the context and everything, um, it's it's quite progressive in that sense. Oh yeah, certainly. When I'm when I'm critiquing this, I'm not saying that they should have done it any differently uh, with the cast that they've got. I, I'm actually quite happy that this is a you know it might as well be Diana Rigg as Ian Fleming's uh, you know Tracy DiVincenzo in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. As far as I'm concerned, like this is her film, and I think she's fantastic in it. I like that she gets to do a lot in the action sequences. I mean, at this point as well, I mean you know Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore, she's a great actress in a uh, you know a Mm, maybe poorly written part. Uh, we'll get yeah. there eventually in a few weeks. This is the best of Bond's co-stars. Um, oof, God, yeah. what? Until Eva Green, perhaps? Yep, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. 
Yeah. 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 I think as, that's, that's as, pretty much a, a a fit, sorry, Bill, I was just going to say, I think that's a pretty much a consensus of why um, Honor Majesty Secret Service and Casino Royale are, are elevated so high in most fans' kind of opinions. And it's mm. not just because they're good good stories or good films, that they actually have a compelling um, female uh, lead. And a, be- and, and a believable relationship. And, a, and, and a can believable we just relationship. the importance what, 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 of that? Like the importance of having, you know, women who are multifaceted and competent, audiences do react and respond to these types of films. When I think about the Wonder Woman movie, mm-hmm. it's a great movie because Chris Pine's character is a great character, right? He's well-written. He's well-defined. We like him. And so you have a great hero, but you also have this really great, amazing and compelling, you know, um, um, uh, uh, partner or counterpart that we can connect with. And this is me advocating as much as I can that we need to have compelling women in these films films because that's what helps us to sink our teeth into it to buy into it and much like fans my students love diana rigg as tracy DiVincenzo, and they love vesper lind these are the characters that are responding to and saying we wish more women in bond were like this and i don't know who i need to talk to in order to sort of just project that in that these are the figures that that are making our sort of our hearts palpitate and and that we're buying into the story of of the hero because they are multifaceted they have character arcs and whether they live or die we're connected with them that matters Mm-hmm. Re- really quickly, uh, as originally written, Tracy proposed, and that right. got changed oh, wow. to Bond proposing. Yep. I didn't know uh, that. What yeah. is it in the book again? It's Bond in the book, isn't it? It is Bond yeah. in the book, but it's. Right. But that's, but, but, I, I find that yeah, I find that fascinating, Bill. Hmm. Yeah, because because they mention it in the making of featurette, and I have the script, and yeah, she does, and apparently that was a Peter Hunt decision that. No, Bond needs to be the doer, and so Bond should propose. Blah! <laughs> oh, and there's hints, there's hints of purple in that scene I just saw that mm-hmm. we can't see now. Oh, on the, um, the rug what, thing. It, yeah. What's funny is this scene that we just saw was is now one of the go-to clips that Eon use, you know, oh. when they're giving BT packages to broadcasters yeah. and stuff. Which is funny because it's like the last clip they would have given out a few years yeah, ago. 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. Uh, I, I do love what he he um, the line that he, he uh, gives at the end of this little uh, trick. You know, <laughs> it's quite. I, I, it might. Um, it adds to that. I mean, I think they've got such a kind of a, a, a nice, playful kind of quality between them. Everyone sort of says, you know, that uh, he's, he's not as good an actor. And that's obviously it's true. He's not as good as Die in the Rig. But they do actually have, despite their differences personally, there's a there's a good degree of chemistry here. And I think it's... Um, well, they would have had well, a lot of chemistry had he not goofed off on the set, allegedly. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's a that's another issue, isn't it? And um, you know, he didn't he didn't do himself any any uh, favors, um, really. Uh, this mountain just keeps going down and down. I know. And down. Well, well like, and this is uh, we we should mention this guy. Oh God, the aerial cameraman who hung from a helicopter from a yes. harness. 
They oh. made a they made a special feature out of that for cinemas and TV, didn't they? About yeah, this, and, how I, they and I, photo, I think it's on the uh, home video release. Yeah, and it is. I have to dig it out. He was the same guy who lost his foot, or, or yeah. well, his foot had to be amputated with uh, "You Only Live Twice," yeah. right. but he was Ooh. back doing this, and he's suspended from a helicopter. So that's why you know the the shots are so pure because you know there's you can't see helicopter blades or anything like that in those yeah. kind of shots and he, John Jordan, John Jordan. Yeah. The and original drone. Up, yeah. And he <laughs> ended up dying in uh, the production of catch 22 in a yeah. very yeah, obviously he fell out tragic of the, accident. Yeah. He fell out Helicopter. of the, the, the aircraft. Yeah. He, he literally got whipped out at the side of it, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, it but was a very, in some ways, in some ways, this is one of his masterpieces because, I mean, oh, yeah. the aerial shots add so much to this whole sequence. Yes. Yeah, mm. they really do. They really, really do. It's often quite hard to make uh, what is a basically entirely white background compellingly interesting. But, um, you know, without those aerial shots, it's just much kind of like you're just white on white and it's it's not particularly interesting. Um, this got surprisingly oh. a lot of laughs yeah this got a raucous laugh in the la screening we went to with the tarantino fan, um, it, fan boys it did you know i'll tell you what it did in 1969 also mm-hmm. it's like i was like Ooh. but you know it was a it he was had, a laugh he had lots line. of guts it's 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 a uh, it, you know <laughs> it's, it, it, that it's, line it's needed working the, on didn't it so it needed a couple way, of revisions Blofeld just sent a couple of his guys to yeah. the death, so it's like well, he's they, not, oh three of them, so it's like he's not entirely like into right. uh, HR. Well, uh, I like that this keeps us the warning as well. Like, oh, well, yeah. this is fine. He yeah. doesn't know that for sure. I mean, Bond and Tracy survived, so you know there's a yeah. possibility mm. that they're survival. So, fun, in those, fun in fact, that's a real that's a real avalanche that they triggered to film this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That that wasn't the intention. I think that just happened. Well, no, they, they did a controlled avalanche and they filmed it. Um, Yeah. I mean, it looks spectacular. It's pretty amazing. Beautiful. That's scary though. In those, uh, in some of those, uh, up shots of Diana Riggs, she's on a sled on her knees. Um, just to, just to point out that controlled avalanches are a fairly regular, uh, yeah. thing to do in in those environments then you know it's not hmm. uh it's it's to it's better to, to, to prevent uncontrolled avalanches and killing skiers <laughs> right. at, le- at least before, at least before global warming um yeah. <laughs> not as much of a priority at the moment this is not a bad uh, this is not a bad little effect shot where they've got these the two skiers yes. in front of uh, in front yes, of the, optical, the snow. Yeah, optical work to it, put the silhouettes on it. Yeah, it's good, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's not it's not it's it's not bad. It's pretty it's pretty convincing. And one of the other nice optical shots that I, I particularly like is coming up is when when we return to London and we see the um, you know the snow on the window pane and Bond's mm, memory. Yeah. Um, you know we don't often get visual tricks like that. Um, you know, kind of yeah. and storytelling is pretty like, straightforward. Yeah, considering today, that's a really easy thing to do. Um, yeah. Back then, it took a lot of effort to do it. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's like I, I think it it's could, also yeah. kind of it, it because it's because it's kind of metaphorical. You don't normally get that kind of stuff in a Bond movie. If you put that in no. today, they would be like, "What the fuck are they doing?" But you know, it's it's so it's it's one of the things that kind of makes. Uh, 
Apollo Majesty's Secret Service kind of stand it's, out. It's a it's lot a of the experiments. Of fairy, it's a bit of a fairy tale compared to. It it is, but you know, you look at you look at that that shot. Some of the sound design that they were doing. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot that makes this a fairly experimental and art film in a in a mm-hmm. way, um, which I think. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I really like it because it's not just playing a straight narrative. Um, it's it's a it's a good film. I guess Blofeld just cut his payroll because they're not digging his buddies out. <laughs> That's right. The insurance. There's, there's the shot, Ben. There's the this shot. Is a, yeah. yeah, it's just a great shot, and um, you know, it's yeah. No, I I, I, I like it. And also, by having uh, Tracy get captured, then the, what the screen. Uh, play does is marry the two storylines of the novel closer together because um, mm-hmm. essentially you had in the novel you had two parallel storylines that only come together at the very end and this way it, they come together much sooner. for the third act basically right yeah yeah well I and just want to say something into Diana Riggs image with uh, the Avengers I just want to say something very quickly here which is that Bond is stamping his feet because Blofeld has captured uh tracy and is gonna risk his career his his job um you know he's gonna break the law um to go in and get her get her uh which we feel is a heroic thing to do later on tracy is going to do the same thing uh or attempt to do the same thing uh when blowfeld has has captured bond um and what she's going to receive for that is a punch in the face um so uh, and and I know we're not we're we're way off from it yet, but I just wanted to bring it up while we we were we had a, a fairly lull moment. Um, when we saw that in the cinema, James, uh, the reaction to we, it. We should caveat it with it was a bunch of Tarantino fanboy wankers that were in the audience. Yeah, it it, it was, but it was um, so it was a it was I'll, a male I'll audience. T- I'll t- I'll tell you, same thing happened in nineteen sixty. So that, yeah, that we're in, we were in 2019, though, Bill. At some point. I, I, I get that. I understand. You know, set, if, if you see a bunch of if you see a bunch of millennial guys punching the air in celebrating of hitting a woman, it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit disturbing. That that I did not see. I, I, right. That did yeah. not happen in 1969. Having so guys punching the air. This was this was the first Bond film uh, that that my um, fiance uh, and I had seen uh, together. In fact, I think it's the first. Bond film that she'd even seen. Um, yeah, as, 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 this was a good one to start with. Yeah, I thought <laughs> it was we? like I was like, yeah, we thought, yeah, this is the yeah, this is one of the best Bond films there is, and you know, it's got a great female lead, and she'll be really kind of behind it. Um, I remember looking at she had to move the car at one point, which was when the banana scene uh, yeah. <laughs> uh. happened, and so I was kind of like, I'm t- I was kind of like, I looked at James and went, thank God she wasn't here right. for that moment <laughs> for that. Um, well, well yeah. when you guys described that, when James described this on a podcast last year, it was like I had made the suggestion, well, you might want to do it. It's at Tarantino's theater and like in Man. July. And like, oh, well, maybe we will. And and you did. And then you were telling me about the Tarantino fanboys. I was like, oh, my fault. Well, my bad. Well, let, me, know that. Let, me, let me just say this, right? You can blame it on the Tarantino fanboys. But when I mentioned that on Twitter, everybody defended it. So, yeah. you you can say that it was a it was a theatre of particular um, particular fans, but when it goes onto the Twitterverse and everyone says, "Don't be so ridiculous," um, 
I think that's well, really you've indicative. Got to remember, of you've got to remember, you, if you criticise a Bond film in any way, you're not a proper fan. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Um, sorry. sorry. Um, I will say that. Yeah, yeah, because people, people, people criticise me for bringing up uh, Fetch My Shoes from Dr. No, and it's like, no, it's perfectly understandable. Like, I, I will say okay. when that scene played at the BFI um, last year for the screening, there was a there was a reaction. There were maybe some giggles in there. There were some like gasps. It was, but it was all of it. It all felt like a very uncomfortable sort uh-huh. of like I. I think to some people in the audience they weren't expecting it, so they reacted Ooh. to it with like a oof, like uh, sort of yeah. sound. Um, at least that was the reaction that I had in my screening. I think um, it just goes to show that media is not benign. Like I have so many people tell me it's only entertainment. You think about it too much. And and yeah, I can understand uncomfortable laughter. I mean, my students give me that sometimes when I, when I put stuff on because they don't know what to make of it. And so mm-hmm. they're trying to, they don't know how to deal with right. discomfort. And so they try to have some sort of reaction. But when people are like throwing their hands in the air and cheering for it, mm. that is a different yeah. type of reaction. No, and I, I think I, that that is... Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reason why so many people have asked for it to like reduce violence against women, whether it's sexual violence or physical violence, because it's not benign. It does have an impact on some people. Um, yeah, and again, agreed. is it a product of the time or are we reacting today that way? Like that's disturbing that it's happening. It's more disturbing that that's happening today than back then. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, just a quick word on cinematography here. Yeah. Um, this, the, One of the best um, shot sequences of shots in the whole series, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Let's is amazing. She looks amazing with the fur yeah. and the black. I want that. She looks beautiful. So when well, you they don't did want the, the fur because that'll get you criticism. Fake fur. So when, <laughs> fake so when fur. we did the when when they did the the, the sunrise sequence um, for the helicopters coming in here, uh, when they shoot it through the window of Piz Gloria. Um, they had to apply several layers of filters to the to mm-hmm. the windows to, to create the um, the sun the sunrise effect, uh, wow. so that, that it didn't kind of just glare out the, the camera. Um, I'm not sure that they had the, the you know quite the ability to kind of. Uh, I do think Draco the- comes across really well in this sequence because yeah. I'm, I'm bringing distinguished members of the world press. All right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, we touched on the dialogue before. The the, uh, I mean, the relationship between these two is is played very nicely. Uh, Blofeld's very charming. Um, the cinematography is fantastic. But, I actually like Sid Kane's, uh, de- you know, design of this of Blofeld's office. It's it's a really lovely part but, of the movie. But again, to your point, Ben, about this is like this is Tracy's film. I mean, here she is manipulating the villain. Right. Yeah. And also, um, Savalas and Rig had just worked together on the Assassination Bureau. That's right. Prior to this, so they had obviously experienced playing off against each other. So, um, so this is that, this that is, helps. This is uh, dynamic lighting. This is this is actual lighting from the outside. This isn't uh, right. Uh, you know, so this is this is really nice to sort of see this kind of. Uh, cinematography in a film like this but yes you're right bill i mean you know that they've got an ease with each other that is that is um you know really makes it um and and uh, james you're right you know when you you see bond with blofeld there's there's no way that bond's gonna convince him you know we we know that bond, uh, blofeld wasn't convinced by 
by Bond. But two minutes with Tracy and he's eating out of her hands. It's uh, right. It's great. We're also about to see uh, <clears throat> one of the stunt performers like dive out of the helicopter and get buried in snow. I <laughs> might have been Richard Graydon. I'm not sure yeah. which one, but uh, it was one of the regulars. And, uh, I oh, love and there Dickie. she is with uh, her champagne, broken champagne bottle to... Yeah, I do geez, love that. No matter how smitten Blofeld was with uh, Tracy, he's still like, "Now, nah, as soon as shit goes down, he's out of there." Like, there's no <laughs> like, oh, bring her with me." Pre- it's just like prepare nah, the pre- prepare the bath sub. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, for some reason, the Red Cross didn't complain about this sequence, right? But, uh, like they did with and neither, and, neither, and, but... and neither did the world's journalists. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure no, the Guardian, had, like, the Guardian the would have something to say these days, though. Yeah, <laughs> I've got distinguished members of BuzzFeed. Healing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. healing power of crystal. Um, oh, and this oh, is the last time we hear like this version of the Bond theme, isn't it? Like this recording yeah. in in a film in the series. This yeah. Yeah. we heard in Doctor No, yeah. Uh, I do. I wish they'd kind of this bit where he slides down the, you know, firing the Sterling, um, is uh, you know, it's it's such a cool moment. Um, I kind of wish they hadn't. It's not quite cut right. You right. know, it should be Bond should jump out of the helicopter and immediately we see him sliding along. But yeah, and we're coming up to um, one of the most brutal moments of the series when uh, oh yeah, the guy, the guy with a flamethrower in the tunnel. Oof, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about yeah. Tracy with the guy in the spikes, but uh, yeah. yeah, this whole fight's pretty brutal, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Look at that. Um, but we should have seen him jump out and do it immediately. Um, the guy in the flamethrower. I mean, it's it's. I, I call it Quarrel's revenge. Right. <laughs> um, oh yeah. It, it's uh, it's it's payback. It's Quarrel's payback. Um, mm. But yeah. The, <sighs> This must have been quite difficult to kind of film all of this kind of stuff, you know, with pyrotechnics and, you know, avalanche problems and all sorts. Mm. Um, Yeah, Bond doesn't really care. All right, Tracy, bye. Well, also we had that that quick dub of George Baker, guns make me nervous. Just uh, something done in post to try and get a Mm. laugh. Mm. Oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah, fried henchman. I love that one ice my, tunnel. It's so cool. Yeah. One of my uh, my my least favorite things about this film is that um, Hunt is a, a very accomplished editor, a very accomplished editor, and I, I, I certainly don't want I certainly don't want to um, disparage him in any way. But it's interesting how when he's got his own film, um, you know, the countdown on the bomb. I right. mean, it, it it should it it's not really an excuse. For if you can't edit it to the, to the, to be, it hits zero Real and time. the place goes, yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is, I think is one of the, the big kind of, um, letdowns. Not that there are a huge amount of letdowns in this movie, but, um, like a block it, of Blofeld's phone there. It's bling. I love that. <laughs> yeah. that's, a Don, that's a Donald Trump phone. If ever there was one. <laughs> uh, gold and diamonds. Goodness. I see. There's his little camera. Thing is, though, with Blofeld, it probably is real gold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, I love this laboratory set. I wish we spent more time here. It's really Mm -hmm. cool. 
In yeah, fact, it's I was, a great it, set. Ben asked earlier about what I thought between uh, how this uh, ranked between Ken Adam and Peter Lamont. Yeah, mm. it's not quite to Ken Adam, but it's pretty fancy. And it's like mm. fancier than we saw a lot of you know the Peter Lamont movies. But to be fair, though, Peter Lamont was given the brief of making it more realistic. Oh, it wasn't, I, like, I, I it wasn't like he was yeah. like not imagining enough for, enough to do it. It was the brief. Right. I, Understood. I, I just, Understood. Yeah. I just feel like um, one of the, th- the, the things about it is it does feel like an un- underutilized set. Um, yes. You know, mm. and it's a, it's a shame because it does obviously look very interesting. This set is also very two D scrolling, which I I find mm. unfortunate. That's great. You know, it's yeah, it's just it sort of like, like a you, platform game, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah you just go. <laughs> and here we go. And he yeah, hits his daughter. All right, we'll move on. And mm. yeah, so we you know. We've 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 said it, and I and I genuinely think it's not only a, an act of violence, but it is. It's also saying that it's okay for Bond to do something, but not okay for or okay for a man to do something, but not okay for a woman. So it hit zero five seconds ago. Hmm. Well, ex- One, except there two, is an editing technique three, where where four, it's considered okay five. to zigzag <laughs> in terms of timeline. I mean that goes back to the uh, great train robbery in the twenty Yeah, but century. sure, but but you've got to it count showed, down. It showed gotta... on zero twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm just saying it's, it's that's a... the kind of thing film editors think about. Yeah, but then the 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 um the the timer triggered a, a match, and then the the fuse had to light, and it was. Along the and took a few seconds for the for it to go along, but then it blew up. It's easily explained. I just I just sort of feel like yeah, I mean, Bill, you're right. Obviously there are editing techniques where you can trick time and you can um, trick location and you can you can fool the audience thinking something is happening at the same time when it's not. What this is though is a direct kind of countdown that is building tension uh, for a for a climactic moment. So and it is uh, yeah, but they should. But what I'm saying is, it's an audience expectation that it should go off at zero. Um, yeah, and so and, therefore and, it's. And also to be clear, I'm not necessarily defending it. It's just that's the best thing I can think of in response. <laughs> I'll, I'll defend so. it. I quite like that we hit zero, and then there is Nothing still else. that like, oh wait, oh when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Kind of thing. And you know that that technology didn't. The guy like wound it up. I don't think it's that precise. I think it would be a couple <laughs> of seconds inaccurate either way. Yeah, it's not an atomic clock by any means. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, the, the issue I actually have, one of the issues I have with Spectre, and one of the many issues is, um, Deck Cord, <laughs> the only Deck Cord one? right, Deck Cord, which is what they use to do building demolitions, is mm-hmm. one of the fastest things on Earth. I mean, yeah. it's been engineered specifically that no matter what where you put it, it all goes off at the same time. Yeah. And no matter how long it is, it'll all go off at the same time, it's that quick. Um, so to have this, like, chain slow, reaction slow explosion fuse. is just <laughs> complete bullshit. <laughs> It's one of the it's one of the dangerous things about uh, demolitions um, because it because of that that very reason that it yeah. you know it's it's immediate um, you know you don't get it's not a wily e. coyote slow fuse it it right. goes off. Okay, compare this to uh, Quantum of Solace. Blofeld and Bond have different color helmets. 
So you mm. can tell who is Bond and who is Blofeld, as opposed to that car chase at the beginning of Quantum of Solace where you have <laughs> right. two black cars. I was just thinking, actually, yeah, like this whole sequence is very frenetically edited and your eyeline is darting around all over the place. Yep. There are even some shots in here of just like the sunlight going through some trees and stuff. Right. However, you still have a good sense of geography. When Bond yeah. gets knocked out of his bobsled, you still follow him. It makes sense where Blofeld's turning. It's like it all just the constriction of it is is really, really good, I think. Yeah, even when you're right, uh, Calvin, even when you get um, the sleds going right to left or left to right, you know, normally mm. you've got a, you've got a direction of travel. Mm. And, you know, if you if you suddenly see something go the other way, you're like, why is that doing that? But you get the well, shot of the curve or you get. A, yeah, you know, this so, is like how to do shaky cam. Properly. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I mean, they break the line, like the, the cinematography yeah. line of that you don't like, you know, move the camera around so much that it breaks kind of where the audience's geography is uh, pinpointed here. They do it, but it works. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good example it's, of how to do all a, that stuff and make it work. So it's, it's a, a very rare example because yeah. I can't think of many, many films that cross the line that you don't go, oh, my God. So um, basically, right. in, in Quantum of Solace, the it was the was it alphas that... Um, were in the car chase at mm, yeah. and so basically they need to go and um, and digitally change them so they're all primary colors so you can tell you can tell the difference between them and the Aston Martin <laughs> it, 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 would, car. it would help yeah. <laughs> no flags so no flags I, I, I might be misremembering this, but I think I read something recently. They had to like fly that dog up the mountain or something. They had one yeah. take or something. <laughs> I can't remember why. I love that dog. It's a and lovely dog. I have to admit, and I will put this out there, I love this ring. I think that Tracy is the most beautiful bride. I love her mm-hmm. dress. Uh, just the imagery of her getting – like I just – I can't even. Like she's just so stunning – uh, uh, yeah, beautiful bride. I, I, I'll, I'll t- I'll t- you never you really see it in the film, but it, the the ring says we have all the time in the world in, in letters, doesn't it? But I you only, know, yeah, no, I was just right. going to say, I only noticed I, that like the, this yeah, past year. Like, I never the, noticed it before. Uh, yeah, um, at the, dinner, at the I, dinner we went to before the Casino Royale premiere, I was talking to an American woman and she actually had this ring. And the and <gasps> yeah 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 N- not the one but a, a, an imitation sorry oh. and um oh, still <laughs> yeah still uh, uh, one of the things she said about it though it was that it was very very uncomfortable because of the lettering just made it it may, means Ooh. that it has a lot of sharp yeah. points on it so. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and Calvin, really? like I, I saw this movie long before you did. I only learned about it in the last year or two, so I'm right oh, there right, with you. Yeah. Um, I and learned also- about it just now. I had yeah, no idea. I just yeah. thought it was beautifully designed. I didn't so, know there were letters. So did I. Hmm. And, <laughs> I thought, and, um, yeah. I was about to say with this wedding, of course, this steps it up considerably from the novel, which was kind of a simple civil mm-hmm. ceremony, mm-hmm. and it's you know very this was spectacular. One of the first scenes they filmed. Oh, so, so I've always wanted to put, I've said it before, one day sit down and cut Majesties with all the dialogue sequences in the order that Lazenby filmed them to yeah. see if his performance got better towards the end. But this was the first. So when you saw in the beginning, there's a line of like Draco's men, that was the guy mm. that got dropped from the films in that line because they filmed this first. Uh, Michael G. Mm. Wilson's in there somewhere, apparently. Um, also, yeah. that wedding dress is not a dress, it's a jumpsuit. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I think a lot of people don't pick up on. Um, I, I've done a bit of research onto it. Um, I believe it's done by Michael Fish, uh, who is responsible for um, a lot of um, 
know, those loud shirts in the, you know, those kind of colorful shirts that you see in the, in the late sixties. Um, I can't, I can't positively say that for sure, but, um, a lot of research that I've done has led to, to kind of say that it is by Michael Fish. Um, real quick, I, that hat toss from Bond to Money Penny is like yeah. that, a genuinely yeah. emotional moment. And no, it's, like, is, it's very nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, to Lisa's point, I love I loved the James yeah, Bond will return and diamonds are forever. <laughs> yeah, that's your end shot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and, uh, obviously Bernard Lee or Bernard Lee, if you're in, in the States, um, was run down by George Lazenby on horseback. On a horse. Um, and, on <laughs> a horse, right. yeah. Um, no, they didn't they didn't see eye to eye after that, did they? They did Very not see eye no. to eye. It's it's implied in the scene Bond is leaving the service. Um, yeah. Hmm. So all that stuff we were talking about earlier about being an agent and being married probably doesn't apply except she gets killed. But uh, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But Jesus, um, <laughs> Jesus, Bill, we had like two minutes left to go. Come on. <laughs> if, if young people going past in their car hadn't made fun of them for having the flowers on their car, maybe she would have lived. Yeah, that's yeah. right. At least a bit, at exactly. least a bit longer. Because you know. We need we need to find out who they are, where they are now, <laughs> and put them on Twitter. Shame them on Twitter. <laughs> These um, people are responsible for Tracy getting killed. If you know who they are, yeah. put it out on Twitter. I believe that actually it's Bond who's responsible, or at least Draco is responsible, because I genuinely believe that Tracy had gone in after Bond after Bond when she was trying to. Um, they would have got Blofeld. Um, and uh, she would have lived, and they would have lived happily ever after. So uh, that's True. what happens when you stop stop women from um, their with their agency, or just let her drive the car because she's in the passenger seat, and this is when she dies. Yeah, and that's like, true. Well, actually, yeah. Mean, well, meanwhile, as the as someone who saw the movie in 1969, I was devastated at this point. Oh gosh, yeah. I was little lap map, was... little uh, little lap map. I didn't see it coming. I had not read the novel. When I got home, my father, who had read the novel, oh, how'd you like the movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how, how, how was it? Like, because they know on this podcast before we've covered, like, you know, in Casino Royale, it would not be the same movie if you ended with Bond crying over, you know, the dead Vesper. Like, you need to have that kick-ass, like, oh, yeah, he's going to go after Mr. White and say J- Bond, James Bond. And, you know, the audience can leave the cinema a bit elated. Bill, how was it, like, leaving the cinema after this where you do end on a complete downer i was in a total state of shock mm. you know and and also i mean the whole thing with Dinah rig being the avengers added to it it yeah. added to the source material because like i'd seen Dinah rig on the avengers and it's like Dinah rig gets killed mrs spiel gets killed i mean it's i mean just I, it I just made I it more suspect, intense. I suspect I, the ending of the film actually uh, contributed to its uh, to, to people's dislike of it because uh, they didn't mm. walk out of the cinema elated like you're used to feeling in, in a in a James Bond film. Yeah, I, th- I think an epilogue would have done this film very well, especially considering and also considering they're becoming very hard with the James Bond theme, mm-hmm. uh, which is very very <laughs> yeah. jarring. Um, you know the close but, the closest thing I can think of to a movie like you know that experience was until two years ago with this what was it Avengers 
Infinity Wars, which clearly ended on a downer. Like, holy crap, there was like no sense of like optimism at the end of that movie. And yeah, so that's like the closest thing I can think of. Mm -hmm. But even then, that had like a very definite, okay, well, next year you're going to be seeing the conclusion right. to this it's like i never felt like Lee, i i mean i it, it don't was, like that, that more film, of a, like but... how are they going to get out of this kind of yeah ending. yeah it's right. like okay how are they going to write themselves out of this whereas uh this i can't even imagine sort of like what that must have been if this is the latest bond film and you're used to coming out of them either laughing or like i mean god the previous film ends with bond and kissy on the raft and then the submarine mm-hmm. comes up and surprises yeah. them it, you know, all of them end with a laugh or you know whatever this is like a completely different experience and like I said, it was even weirder than when I got home when my dad asked me what I thought. I mean, because he had read the novel, he knew what was coming. He had no interest in seeing it. Yeah. And he was kind. Of, and he, I don't want to say he was sympathetic. It was kind of, but it was kind of like, well, that's how it goes sometimes. It's just sometimes you have to move on. It just, it, it. I, seriously, so, I, you know, so I mean, did you, did, did you go into the film a boy and come out a man? <laughs> 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 not quite, but uh, something like that. It was it was not what I was expecting, not at all. But yeah. I do think it's interesting that when we think about where Bond goes from here and his his vengeance on Blofeld when Connery picks up the next scene, it's actually Irma Bunt who is shooting. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. the one who kills, you know, the love of his life, and it's Blofeld who is driving that car in an interesting reversal. I get a neck brace; he doesn't have like he can't move left to right. But I would assume that it would be the villain who would be sort of uh, mortally wounding Bond. Whereas we've never really seen Irma Bunt do anything physical, anything gun related. Um, up to that point. And so I just think it's it's an interesting way to end it. And then I think Diamonds Are Forever is interesting. And, and there are reasons why they didn't sort of redo and recast uh, the role because Steppet died shortly after this film. Uh, but it's interesting that like she is one of the few women in the world of Bond or the few hench people in the world of Bond who gets away with it with ever mm. ha- without ever having any sort of Bondy injustice. And I think that makes her a very different and special character in, in the series. Well, I will say I this: when I, think- I saw that, when when I saw the double feature of this and Diamonds, so when I saw the pre-credits of Diamonds in the second half of the double feature, it felt a little more real to me because the first time I saw it, I'd kind of forgotten about <laughs> Majesties and and just kind of viewed that movie as a thing unto itself. When I saw them as a double feature. Like okay, like all that urgency of Bond hunting down Blofeld kind of meant more seeing it as a, as a double feature. Hmm. But Lisa. Um, anyway. Mm. Um, I was just going to say that like, we don't, we don't see um, Irma Bunt get killed, but I, I, the way I always kind of justified it in my mind was that he killed her first and then, and then went on his hunt for, for Blofeld. So he's, he's kind of like, cause she was the one who pulled the trigger in my mind. It's an off screen kind of like, you know, that's well, anyway. Well, that's how I just justified it. Well, well, perhaps Irma Bunt underwent uh, uh, DNA, uh, <laughs> and, and she was Maria <laughs> in the <pre-course> <laughs> <laughs> and Bond throttled her with her bikini top. 
Mm. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that's that's true. That must be it. I, I think it's a shame that we've never gotten the Blofeld um, married couple Bond villain duo. Yeah. I think there is something quite lovely about, like I say, in the Fleming work where he's up against these two and they're so grotesque and like calling it, you know, they're very lovey-dovey with each other and pet names for each other and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's a lovely, like they rub Bond's nose in it, like that they oh, are this is. sort of very heteronormal married couple but with this slightly uh well, yeah twisted yeah. edge to them i love we, that we, we might to do we might proper, get it in 2034 i was about yeah. to say to do a proper adaptation of the you only live twice novel i think it almost has to be part of like a streaming series yeah mm-hmm. that's why i said 2034 because i mean bond the character yeah. and the words become public domain we're gonna yeah. get mm-hmm. we're gonna get phase two of bond oh, on oh, screen okay yeah pu- public domain ben get writing because i mean i mean the office film is on its it's it's already written um hours and hours of bond in his office is going to be <laughs> there for you to see um, i mean even you so, live twice the accurate adaptation of the fleming novel would be like half of it would just be bond and <laughs> tiger just like chatting for like half of the thing about the state of the british empire sake. yeah no this is the thing about when people sort of you know because it comes up a lot on in discussions like oh we should see a proper adaptation of the fleming novels and it's like well the screenwriters for the films made the changes they made for a reason because mm-hmm. you can't right. necessarily just translate that to the screen i think it'd be quite boring actually to see some of the fleming works just translated verbatim to the screen yeah and and i mean i did a post oh sometime in the last two years about because i hear this all the time oh we didn't get a proper adaptation etc and i did a post laying out the reasons why doing a straight adaptation of you only live twice the novel would be like extremely difficult Mm. And like you know, like you said, you have one chapter that's nothing but a list of poisonous plants and stuff. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's like, well, that's yeah. that's not very cinematic. Let's toss that out. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, it's it's a a very interesting novel. Don't get me wrong; I'm not criticizing it the least. Oh, and I that, love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, and and that gets into like the whole special world of Fleming because you really get sucked into this thing about. Mm. But trying to like make a movie out of it is mm. like okay, that's a different thing. Oh and yeah, it's a different medium, and th- and that's fine. It's fine for yeah. them to exist as their own things, and they're great in their own ways, and and that's fine. I don't necessarily think that just because a book is really great, you need to translate that verbatim to the screen. And just real quick, I've mentioned this friend of mine who rereads all the Fleming stuff every year, and he made the comment about. Fleming's versatility in that he wrote you uh, he wrote Majesties and then he comes back with you only live twice which is like so totally different like one's an epic and this other thing is this totally different thing mm-hmm. and mm, that's a little travelogue tight little travelogue basically yeah, yeah. Mm. and it, and it's uh, yeah you're right it's and it's very it's a very condensed kind of revenge story and um i i i you know i I genuinely like that about fleming and his ability to kind of like go from you know big scope like thunderball or on a a majesty secret service and then bring it right down to just you know 
very very small couple of people in a room basically make it and that and then other, then what other people say oh the changes they they made like denied us the the revenge story we should have had and i said i get that but like i think they've kind of made it up i think we've had a lot of revenge stories ever mm-hmm. since so it's like maybe yeah. Yeah. i will say this that um the film that we just saw is probably one of the closest adaptations to the source yep. material that we're, yes, we're gonna yes. we're gonna get I, so I, in fact, I wrote a piece. I said it's the closest. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I, and, I, and in fact, it's so close. I think it stands unto itself in terms yeah. of the amount I, of Fleming content uh, as how close it adheres to it. I mean, I, yes, I there are changes, but. You, you brought up the change, Bill, about tying the, the Tracy storyline and the Blofeld storyline together better. That's one of the things mm. I think they improved on the book. Yeah. yeah. In terms of storytelling. And in terms of visually, by making that wedding as big and as expansive mm-hmm. as it is, it's like it makes it more visual, which is, you know, plays to the movie medium as opposed to the novel medium. Mm. And, I, and I admit that they, you know, as Lisa pointed out uh, earlier in the recording, there are things that, and, and also um, Calvin, uh, when he was talking about Bonds in a monologue, there are certain things that you can't add to a film. Uh, you can't really put in there that adds the dimension. And, and also, you know, when we were talking about uh, Tracy's backstory about, you know, why she finds herself in this, in this mental uh, headspace that she's in, you know, that's very difficult to kind of uh, necessarily put onto the screen. And I think, although I think it would have benefited from some, uh, at least an effort to, to, to try to do that, um, but overall, I think as as an adaptation goes, it's uh, and, and particularly considering the time that it was made in, um, it's 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 a fantastic film for that. In real life, um, Roger Moore told this anecdote in his uh, "Live and Let Die" diary. So I guess he I guess he went to the premiere, one of the early showings. And supposedly Harry Saltzman asked somebody, it was like a major agent or some you know, big you know, big show business figure. So what do you think? And like the guy replied, you should have killed him and kept her. <laughs> um, people weren't ready for this in 1969. They clearly weren't. And like I said, I was, I was, I was devastated. As a as an eleven year old, but uh, but it's a great move. It's it's a great part of the Bond legacy, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, if we're, if we're doing the uh, summaries of how we feel about it, I feel like I've probably made some more critical points uh, during this uh, playthrough. But it is still one of the best Bond films. I think it's spe- fantastically made. Um, I think there are a lot of criticisms to be made about Lazenby and not necessarily his performance in every uh, scene, but in how they write him to be. And I think they put him in situations that he's, yeah. he just can't come out of it looking like the dashing hero that Sean Connery was. And uh, and I think that's probably quite telling as to why audiences didn't take to him and the film ending on the downer note that it does probably didn't do it any good service. So it is what it is. It's great watching this in 2020 where I know that I have, you know, 23 other Bond films that I can pop in immediately after and, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine what it must have been like seeing it at the time. And I think it is quite 
telling for uh, the reputation it had for what 10 20 years after it was released i'm glad it's had Ooh. the renaissance it's had but Ooh. i think it's understandable to be honest i we we talked briefly about the weird 1976 abc re-editing of it Mm. And we won't go into details. You know, it wasn't really shown on American television in its proper form until 81, 82, 83, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, it, it, it was, like I said, they showed that weird version once and it was like a few years later before they got around to showing it again. Um, mm. was, Bill, wasn't there... Um wasn't there a television show where he, uh, George Lazenby, came back with an Aston Martin? Um, in the it's the five? return of the man from Uncle. Sorry, James. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. He asked I me. I'm going to go I, there. Um, in yes. fairness, Bill, I, I, I kind of lined that up for you. <laughs> No, you, and you knew I'd bite on it, but that's fine. Um, yes, where – well, and that actually played on – I don't know if this was the intention, but like, you know, Ian Fleming was involved in the creation of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. in a limited way. But uh, yes, he um, – George Lazenby played, quote, JB, unquote, and he's driving an Aston Martin. He helps out an aging Napoleon solo – Who's in well, a bit of a fix? And let's be honest, it was a made-for-TV budget. They weren't exactly going to get Connery back, were they? No, they weren't. <laughs> so it was made at the same time that both uh, Octopussy yes. and Never Say Never Again were made. So yep. if you could line up the production dates, there probably is probably like a week or two where all three of them were playing Bond or Bond-like characters in right. somewhere in late nineteen eighty-two. At the same time, yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly, sorry, just this is probably not that interesting, but the, the car that he drives in that, the, the Aston Martin that he drives in that, um, it's also the Aston Martin that Roger Moore drives uh, in the Cannibal Run and is also mm -hmm. one of the production um, uh, Aston Martins for uh, the promotion of Thunderbolt. So technically speaking, um, they've all driven the same car. <laughs> Ah. And, and well. I actually am acquainted with the guy who owned the car in the early 80s when that was filmed with George Lazenby. He is a uh, professional, he's a film professional, he's an Oscar winner. And uh, he said, I was in a James Bond movie too. And I said, oh, come on. And he showed me the clip. It's in Diamonds Are Forever. And he's he is in the movie in a blurred over the shoulder you can't tell anything way but yes he was there so there you go so what's it what's interesting about that aston is that that was as i said one of the promotional vehicles that they aston martin gave to um eon to to trick out john steers trick out um to make it kind of with all the gadgets it got sold back to aston martin um, and then somebody else bought that car and then reinstalled the gadgets. So that's yeah. why in the the gadgets that you see in The Man from Uncle – no, I didn't get a buzzer. Um, that's why <laughs> you said it's, it's, it's a one-time one use. Okay. Sorry. Um, but, so that's what – and, and well, then I was say, run, though, the gadgets are – the one thing about yeah. that Lazenby appearance, though, is like he could have still been playing James Bond if he hadn't been so stupid enough to quit the part after right. one movie. He might have yeah. still been able to do it. 
And that's kind of – that's sort of the what if about that thing, which we won't well, mention again. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think anybody has mentioned it, but uh, one thing that On A Manchester Secret Service has with Die Another Day is snow. <laughs> that's, that's our tenuous die another day link. <laughs> it's enough of one uh, nice it's, nice it's enough that's clever uh, yeah, actually clever than um, i've been in this episode so well here's here's the connection it's the only other bond film that looks back over artifacts from the other bond films Good uh, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can I, mean, I, throw I, in, can, I was about to say, can I throw in one quick trivia note? In real life, of course, there was no MGM logo because MGM didn't own UA. But uh, this movie was the first of six Bond films with my personal favorite United Artists logo, which was start off with a black screen, these blue lines came up formed a stylized T and then it became small. And then you saw the words United Artists Entertainment from Transamerica Corporation. So they did that for six movies in a row, starting with this through Moonraker. And the thing about it was it was totally silent. And for me, it was like you were counting down to the gun barrel, essentially. So it's like, okay, all right, gun barrel's about to start. And then you saw it. (laughs) Come on, come on. Yeah. And how modern audiences have been cheated of the same anticipation. Yes, they have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have. If only, if if only it were down to a matter of seconds. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. It's like two-hour wait. It's a two-hour wait. No, well, no it's years. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. No, I, 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 I do like On a Majesty's Secret Service. I, I do complain about George Lazenby's performance a lot, but uh, I, and I, I don't quite buy him as 007. But on the other hand, considering his experience or, or lack of it, I think he does, uh, he does a far better job than I could ever have done. Uh, yeah, he's a bit clunky uh, in parts, but right. I, uh, overall, I, I do enjoy the film. And as as I said earlier, you know, my my initial feelings about the film weren't my own feelings at all. They were they were my my parents' feelings. And once once I realised that, and I realised mm-hmm. I did enjoy it, it, it it becomes quite a a different thing. So um, yeah, it, it's a good entry well, in the series. Also, when I, I mentioned this on a previous episode, so when they showed that weird, weirdly edited version on American TV in 1976, in the TV guide ad said, Telly Savalas in biggest Bond movie ever. Right. Um, <laughs> so wow. Playing up Telly Savalas well, yeah. in the ads. As, he, as his star had risen with Kojak at that point, right? Exactly. So. Hmm. Like Telly yeah. Savalas and Diana Rigg in, in. on her <laughs> with George Lazenby. I think yeah. it's interesting because I actually had in one of my Bond classes uh, a George Lazenby fan club. Mm-hmm. It consisted of three students and one of their service animals named Sawyer. Sawyer was my best student. He would sit on the chair <laughs> and look at me and like it paid so much attention um, definitely my favorite student. Um, but they loved George Lazenby. Um, and I think because George Lazenby was so different from 
Sean Connery because they didn't like Sean Connery, that he maintained that standing. And there are some fans out there who really like George Lazenby and don't think that he's been given um, a fair shake. Now, do I consider myself one of those people? No. I mean, I'm glad that I have my Diana Rigg, James Bond film. Uh, that I can go back and and watch. And for me, she's the diamond in this. And I see the scenes with her and I find her beautiful and inspiring and strong and confident. And I know that the women of Bond really do get lambasted where everybody thinks every woman is presented in the exact same way as sort of a pinup with nothing valuable to bring. And I think she stands in opposition to that criticism. Um, Not all women do, but she certainly does. And so for me, I like watching Honor Majesty's Secret Service because I get the opportunity to see somebody strong and capable and competent. And uh, it's, it's great to have a character like that on the screen. Now, would I have preferred her to live and he die? Yeah, probably. Uh, (laughs) um, I do not advocate for death. I think I always talk about like killing off characters I don't like. Um, But the no death rule is always in effect in real life. I don't want anybody to truly die. But um, I definitely enjoyed her character. And I really like Blofeld in this. Um, And so I think that there are some like really redeemable aspects to to this film. And there's some other areas that not I'm not the greatest fan of, but you can also critique things and still like uh, other elements and still enjoy watching it. But real quick on that 1994 L.A. Bond convention I mentioned earlier. So when Lazenby appeared, what you know, there were people asking questions and somebody asked something along the lines. This is a rough approximation. George, I just want to let you know that some of us think you were like the greatest James Bond ever. And you know, we really wish you had done more. And I kind of midly, I kind of sat back in my chair. I like wasn't prepared to hear that. But uh, hmm. unfortunately, George didn't have a really good response. Well, thanks. Kind of. Right. <laughs> That's about the extent of it. It, it, it is funny with, because I do, I again, I don't know if it's just because this film has had something of a renaissance the past couple of years or, or what, but people will, I mean, you know, will say, oh no, he's really good in this. He delivers a really good performance. And to me, that's like sort of, you know, speaking a completely different language. Like I, I don't quite understand how anyone, God, I'm not going to take it away from anyone. If you, if you know, you think that, you know, you enjoy this then Great. I mean, God, I'm, you know, probably number one Moonraker fan here. Like I'm used to sort of having a <laughs> not terribly conventional opinion on something and I want to be left alone in that. But uh, yeah, when people say, oh no, I think he's really good in this. He gives a really good performance. I'm just like, Wow, I mean, I I think this is kind of like textbook wooden, <laughs> like this and John Gavin in Psycho. It's like the two sort of my go-to examples of what a wooden performance is. Um, but you know, if people oh, enjoy it, great, well done. But it, not for me. Interesting. Of course, we could have seen, we we could have seen John Gavin in Diamonds John... Forever, couldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stop, stop being my thoughts. <laughs> I was just going to say, I had a really quick exchange on Facebook. It was one of the guys who did those documentaries on the home videos. It was not John Cork, but I won't go be more specific than that. And he was like scorching uh, one of the Roger Moore films. And then I responded. I said, I'm, I'm not trolling you at all. I just want to say, so what is it like when you're doing a documentary about a Bond movie mm. you don't personally like? How do you approach that? Hmm. And then he gave a pretty res- uh, thoughtful response, which was along the lines of, you know, it's like when we worked on those, we knew that 
virtually every movie is somebody's favorite. So you mm. treat it with respect yeah. and you play it down the middle. That's, that's how you do it. And I, I, that was a great perspective. And, mm. and I thought he was really nice in responding to me because I was really trying not to be a jerk because mm. like, you know, because a lot of people so it's are. A, it's a tough media, thing. So. Yeah. yeah. I've, um, mm. I've, in my capacity as, um, you know, uh, writer for MI6, I've had to write many articles for Bond films that I haven't necessarily thought were the best ones. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think he's absolutely right. You just have to take that respectful did, approach and just did, say did that any somebody. Did them have monorails in there? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny uh, you should say that. I, I was uh, just thinking that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, mono, the monorail trilogy that we did was, was, was quite an interesting one. I actually genuinely, you know, upon reflection, do really uh, like... This is the other thing too, Bill. Like, your, your, your films that you dislike at certain points often become favourites later on. I know mm-hmm. that I didn't have much love for, for Octopussy, Um at one point in my life um i much prefer that film now I, I i have a lot more love for it and a lot more time for it than i originally did um it was it was probably my my bottom two films at one point um but now it's certainly it's certainly gone up in my estimation um so i think you have to remember that you know if you don't like something right now you might you might like it later on Mm-hmm. Well, and in my case, even if I don't, even if I have the same criticisms now, I I can change my mind about things sort of on the on the edges, and specifically um, with the man with the golden gun, the same things I thought were weaknesses, I still think are weaknesses. But I was like listening to. I, I, yeah, you mean it's not long enough? You mean it's not it's not long enough? I, I was watching it and I was like lis- really listening closely to the soundtrack, the music. And it was like, there's like a lot more intricate music, you know, stuff that doesn't get included on the soundtrack album. Mm. And it's like, you know, it's like in a lot of Bond fans say, ah, it's mediocre John Barry. Well, one, it's John Barry. So like, you know, if Picasso could like do a scribble on a, Right. On yeah. a piece of paper and it, it's and I, for thousands I, I, I've, of dollars. I've, I've seen you say this before, Bill, but in, and, and, uh, and I completely agree. But uh, I, I find it curious that people criticize the, the, the soundtrack because when I watch the film, one of the things I love about it is that it really feels like a Bond film with the Barry score. Yeah, right. and he wrote the music in like three weeks. It's like, but you know what, Bill? The, I, think, I think that's part of it. People know that he wrote it in three weeks. Therefore, yeah. think it's weak. Yeah, well, the yeah. and the slide the, whistle. The, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's pretty inexcusable. <laughs> I know. But here's the deal: Jerry Goldsmith did a slide whistle like years before Barry did. So, like, I don't care. It's like, <laughs> that I doesn't mean, excuse it. Damn it! Well, it doesn't excuse it. But like, okay, I will over. I will overlook it to an extent. Yes, I wish the slide whistle wasn't in the movie. But it's like it's it's not like he's the first guy to to fall into that trap and like Jerry Goldsmith is, you know, is as good a composer as John Barry is. So, well, let's remember can, that it's not the, re- not the responsibility of the composer to put things like that in there. Um, mm. It's, uh, it's, um, sounds, ultimately, sounds, ultimately rest with the director. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Right. 
Barry convinced so. him. Anyway, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Eventually, we'll get in, there. Week, in week twenty four. <laughs> or sooner. Anyway, I don't know. So, so finger roll come sorry, before tw- golden gun. Tw- so you're right. You're right. Twenty three. Week twenty three. <laughs> Lisa, I got a question for you, Lisa. Do you show the films when you discuss them with your with your uh, course in chronological order? Yeah, we we think we cover fifteen of mm. the twenty. What are we on? 24, 23? Yeah. Uh, uh, Bond films. And we do cover them and discuss them in chronological order. Okay. Yeah. So they do get to get the sense of like transtextual analysis, how um, it has developed the influence of various movements. They can see it from sort of the ground upwards. Mm. Mm. I'd I'd just be interested if there's like, if, if somebody completely new to the series saw this first um how they'd think about the other films mm. yeah. we, we could ask your girlfriend ben if she ever watches the second film <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't i don't think that's gonna happen um but, <laughs> <laughs> uh she uh she she kind of caught a little bit of um skyfall the other day and uh, was was not impressed <laughs> hey. can't win them all no Depends on your depends on your definition of winning. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's so a great response. A, I love that. <laughs> do we want to have a vote for next week? I'm exempt, so yes. Mm. For um, a change. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's your first time. We're going to skip one. So, uh, bottom up on my screen, Lisa. Do you want to go first? I'm trying to think of what we haven't covered. And what I want to see, there's a couple that I, I've already said. Um, you know what? Let's go for Octopussy again. Let's see if we can get, you know, my fighting women back on screen. All Let's right. Try it. Calvin? Uh, world is not enough for me, definitely. All right. David? Oh, that's going to win. I'm going <laughs> to say Thunderball. Sure. All right. And Ben. Uh well, I was I was gonna go with Thunderball, which I think it's a great choice, uh, David. Um I think being and and and, and also uh, I'm probably still gonna vote for Octopus. Um but uh considering that I can't say either of those two films, I'm gonna go again with uh a view to a kill. Mm-hmm. All right. These are all very familiar votes. <laughs> <laughs> did, yeah, did, did we do this to type? I feel like we have. You know what I'm going to do this week? You know what I'm going to do this week? I'm not going to put who nominated it on the vote. Oh. Yeah. So it'll be a uh, clean, well, although it'd be bleedingly obvious to anybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> For anyone who pays attention, which may not yeah. be many uh, listeners. Thanks very much, folks, and we'll see you next week. Thank Thanks you. For, thank Bye. you. Great talking. Bye.
high.